This next guest is Alange Haas. He is an actor. He's a writer. He is a director. He is a producer. He is an army veteran. This man has seen it all. He's done it all. And he is going places. And I cannot be more excited to be able to speak to him right now, to be able to just talk to him, have a good conversation, find out about his life, what he's done in the past, his inspirations for everything that he has going on right now, and what he is aspiring to do in the future. This is a man that you're not going to want to miss listening to. Alanje and I, we met on the set of his web series called Black on Both Sides which can be found on Sika TV. He's also done another web series, which lasted for two seasons, called Blue Collar Hustle. Both of these web series have won numerous awards, and deservedly so. So when it comes to Alange, he has a lot to say. He's a very, very, very smart man. He is uh, just an absolute thrill to be around. As soon as he walked in the room, it, is, it, just, it just lit up. Uh, he's a lot of fun to work with as well, and I look forward to working with him more in the future. So I'm really excited about this episode. We're going to talk about what it's like being a black man in today's society. We're going to talk about what Alanje's hopes are for the black community moving forward. We're also going to hopefully hear a couple of some fun army stories from him. And we're going to talk about a little bit of some nerd culture. And we're just going to have an all-around blast. And, uh, and we're also going to be talking about some deep stuff here. So I hope that you sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for listening. All right, Alanje, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm ready. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Man, I've been so excited. We're going to talk about... Um, everything about that's going on in your life right now and and that's coming up uh, soon that you're really excited for and I'm excited for too and hopefully other people will be as well after they listen to what you have to say. Awesome. I'm ready. Let's get into it. So let's talk about how we know each other. Uh, Black on Both Sides. Black on Both Sides. Yes. Season one uh, came out. Uh, when, when exactly did, did season one come out? Season one, uh, it debuted in September of last year. I'm sorry, October of last year. And we finished up the last episode about two months ago, January. That can be found on Sika TV. Correct, right? Sika TV. Yes, S E E K A TV. That is correct, Sika TV. Yes, yeah, Sika TV. Yeah. So, um, black on both sides. Give me uh, uh, your summary of of what that show is about. Well, black on both sides is basically about code switching and how African Americans in this country, how we go about code switching in order to better our lives. That's the that's the overall premise. And it goes a little bit deeper uh, when it talks about the characters, and they're all very different characters, why they feel like they have to do so. So you feel like, you know, as an African-American, you have to speak a certain way, you have to be a certain way, you have to present yourself a certain way um, to be accepted in white America. And when you're around your friends or when you're in your own uh, community, around your own culture, you feel another way. You feel a little bit more relaxed, um, a little bit more at ease. So it's really just exploring that duality uh, while also really just exploring uh, the black diaspora and what it means to be uh, a millennial in black America. You, you said diaspora. Yes. What, what does diaspora mean? So basically just black people were not a monolith. You know, and black America is not a monolith. So when I say the diaspora, I mean many different cultures, many different subcultures, many different trains of thought, many different perspectives, really just kind of getting to the heart of what it means to be black for a lot of people. But while also touching on others in the diaspora, others within the cultures, just trying to make something that everybody can see themselves in. Okay. 
And where did the idea for this, like, no, better question is what was going on? Why did you come up with this in the first place? Like, what, like, when did you decide on, on that idea to, to do the show? Well, after I finished my first series, Blue Collar Hustle, uh, Seeker TV approached me and they asked me if, if I had any of the ideas. And the first idea um, that I was asked about was maybe doing a third season of Blue Collar Hustle. And I felt like the story for Blue Collar Hustle had already been told. And I wanted to go a little bit deeper. And also I wanted to challenge myself, you know, as a creative, as a black creative. And I asked myself, what's one of the things that we talk about that hasn't really maybe necessarily been explored um, and, 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 and in an in-depth way? You know, because it's been explored. You have, you know, shows like Blackish, you have Atlanta, you have Insecure, and they all touch on the subject, but they don't really delve deeply into the subject. So I just felt as a as a black creative, that was something that I could bring forth, that I could put forth that would be interesting, entertaining, but also tell a little bit of truth. So, you know, I came up with the the title for Black on Both Sides. It's actually inspired by an album uh, by Mos Def, a rapper named Mos Def. Yeah, I love Mos Def. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was I know him mainly album. from, like, Italian Job. Uh, yeah, 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 yes. Yes, so he's a, he's a rapper, actor. Mm -hmm. So a lot and of people, he was also a very great musical guest on Dave Chappelle's show. Yes, absolutely. Back in the day, I think That's he, he was correct. on a couple times. Yeah, he was on a couple times, absolutely. Yeah. He performed with Kanye and Freeway. Yes. Um, and he did his own thing as well. So, uh -huh. yeah, so his, his 1999 debut album was called Black on Both Sides. Okay. And so it was kind of inspired by that, but it was also inspired by, again, the duality of, as a black man, I am viewed as a black man in both my culture and also other cultures. So even though you're code switching and you may be speaking a certain way or acting a certain way, you're still black. So never forget that who you are and how you are viewed, no matter how you portray yourself, you're going to be viewed in that way. So again, it's black on both sides. So it's kind of just a, a way of just kind of reminding the characters who and what they represent, no matter how deeply they get into character. So can we, can we talk about that? Um, just so that I can understand uh, more about it as far as when you say that when you're uh, around other black people, you behave a certain way and when you're around Correct. other cultures. And when you say other cultures, do you mean other cultures or are you specifically like, are, are you really meaning like white people? And, and, and there's no, I'm just asking. Mm -hmm. It's other cultures, but it's specifically white people because uh, traditionally white people are the ones who are in charge. When I go to a job interview, mm -hmm. it's usually a white male. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I'm going for a promotion, it's usually a white male who, who holds that position in his hands, whether or not he can give it to me or not. Yeah. And his name's either Bob or yep. like, or Bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, honestly, Bob, yeah. Bill, James. It's always, you know, something of that nature. So specifically white people, but it can be other cultures as well, because when you think of other cultures, how they view white people through, a, I mean, how they view black people through a certain lens, you know, you kind of feel like you have to kind of break away from that stereotype and, and, and kind of be a representative for just, again, like the monolith and black people are not a monolith. So that in itself is kind of a, a burden to shoulder in itself. So it's, it's all cultures, but it is specifically white culture as well because white culture is typically the one that's in charge of these things. Yeah. They're, they're usually the gatekeepers. Yeah, and, and also like the, the highest percentage of the population too, so you don't right. see mainly that. Right. And things are, things are changing these days right. slowly, but and you're starting to see more cultures and, and, and things like that. But yeah, you're right. It is usually an, an old white guy named Bob. Right. So, so let me ask you, do you, do you feel like when you, when you go to speak to like a boss like that, do you... Do you do you do you see um, it, something in his eyes sometimes that 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 lets you know that he he's thinking of you as as not just a person but a black male? Does well, it, absolutely, is that, is it's, something that happens. It is, and honestly, it's it's not really as you don't have to have a look in his eyes. He'll tell you, you know. I've been he'll, told, he'll tell you yeah, like I've been told by my boss that I'm not really black. 
because what? I speak a certain way, because I act a certain way. I've been compared to other black people. You know, I've been yeah. told it was it's me actually, and he, and he could tell you this story too. Me and a gentleman named Jamal Clinton, who's actually one of my producing partners. Awesome. Yeah, we were sitting down at lunch with my boss. And he was comparing us, and he basically said, you know, you, Alonje, you know, you're not really black. You're kind of like Obama. <laughs> and he was like, Jamal, you're more of the what I would consider black, you know, because of the way Jamal naturally speaks and carries himself in the way that I speak and carry myself. And so I just thought that, that was very interesting that, number one, he felt comfortable enough to say that, and number two, he just felt that there was such a distinction, again, thinking of black people as a monolith. And, and he was a white guy? Yes, he was. Why... <sighs> Why do white people think that it's okay to say stuff like that? I, 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 I don't, I don't. That baffles me, and I'm sorry that 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 happens. How, how did you feel when 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 he said that to you? I f- I felt the way that I'd probably felt since I was 12 years old, and I and yeah. I and I've been told that you know. So it so it wasn't you... shocking. It's not shocking. It's to the point where again, when we're talking about these things, like these things aren't shocking to black people. You know, every black person in America has that story. Every single one, I can guarantee it. But it's it's still offensive. Absolutely. Right. It's absolutely offensive. And so, again, we're so talking you're just, about... you're just... In, 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 you're indoctrinated to just be okay. It's kind of, you're kind of uh, desensitized or nullified. Well, to... you're, playing, you're playing a game. Again, okay. And, and okay. you're playing a game and you yeah. are in character. And you, and you hit on that in Black on Both Sides absolutely. a lot with your, with your character in Nazi, how he, he has this whole end game going up against uh, Cyrus. Correct. And, and I, I loved seeing that, seeing how... He had to get close to Cyrus, and he had to earn his trust, and he Correct. had to move up that that company ladder, and and all while doing so, he was to other people, to especially the other employees that were Correct. that were under him. They, it seemed like they were um, they were upset with him and and kind of disappointed with him because he was losing his dignity or maybe losing his blackhood, if if I may. Um, These it, this is all based on fact. You know, it's it's fiction, yeah. but uh, but ninety percent of this is based on fact, and these are things that I've been told. You know. What it is is as a as a black man who's in who who considers himself to be in touch with blackness and, and wants to see other black people win, you know, I've been put in certain positions where I made it to a certain level because I know how to play the game. Yeah. But and when I go back and tell the bad news to, you know, people who I'm really trying to help, they consider me a sellout. Or they said you're a sellout. They say, Oh, you, you act black or you talk black or you talk like you're one of us, but you're not really one of us and it's just a, it's really it's a lack of understanding. Sure. You know, it's a yeah. lack of understanding. But they, these are things you have to sacrifice when you decide you want to move up in a corporate world. When you decide, okay, yeah. I want to be more than just a full timer making fourteen dollars an hour. You know, I have to feed my family or I have my other motivations. You know, as you, Jay Z has a line where he says, "Only spot a few blacks, the higher I go." That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, you have to be tapped. You have to be chosen as a black person, and the reason you're chosen is because they like you. They like you if they can see something of themselves in you. Or if they feel like you can do something for them that nobody else can. And that's why, you know, Anansi, you know, in Black on Both Sides, he's playing that role so that Cyrus can, number one, like him, yeah. you know, and want to see him win. And then number two, he does something. He goes above and beyond for the company. You know, he does something that nobody else can. He provides something nobody else can. So you have to work twice as hard, be twice as good, and also be twice as likable. And all the while you're facing pressure from your peers. Correct. In some instances, yes, you will feel you will feel pressure from your peers. Absolutely. And then you have to be very strong within yourself. Yeah. To not doubt yourself, to know, OK, I'm doing this for what I consider to be the right reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not doing this just because I want to get ahead or, or get over on somebody or, 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 or anything of that nature. 
You're doing it so that you can open a door, kick down a door, really kick down a wall, <laughs> yeah. actually, yeah, you, so that you, others can come through with you. Straight, you know, kicking that door. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I get a lot of my. It's funny. I get a lot of my inspiration uh, from rap lyrics, from hip hop lyrics, and Jay Z, Nas, Common, Kendrick Lamar, J Cole. The way that they talk about these things really what they're doing is they're giving you the blueprint, you know, how they went from a certain level mm. to another level and how you can too within this game. Because really it's just a game. It's a good old boys club and it's like chess. It's like chess. You have to put the knights, you have to put the pawns, you have to put the rooks, you have to put them all on the right position, all on the right board, and you have to make all the right moves. And I saw that in, in the show, in your character, Anansi. I saw that a lot. It was very, very well acted, man, I, and, and directed and, and obviously written as well. You took you. You, the hats that you were wearing doing this show and making this dream happen for yourself and uh, for others that you love is, is, is fantastic. And so what I saw in, in, in the season of Black on Both Sides was that was that like inner fire in Anansi, how... He, he knew that it was it was it was him and he knew that he was on this mission and that nothing was going to stop him. And so there were times where he had to do certain things to get to get there. Um, but along the way, he faced a, a lot of pressure and he, and he faced a lot of um, a lot of like uh, obstacles. Right. And, but he didn't let that get him down because he knew that he he had this end game that he was pushing towards. Right. And to see that that strength in him. But. It, it wasn't just a like it, it wasn't just a screw everybody else I'm doing this it was a like I could see in you I could see the 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 that um conflict right. of, of like I, I I I'm the one like you knew I have to do this it right. has to be me I'm capable of it so right. it's my burden to bear if, right if Correct. You, will, you know yeah it's, and it's and, a burden yeah and I, I can only imagine because you're the one who's having to kind of put yourself in that spotlight and and every and take the the brunt uh, you're having to you're having to take the snide comments from the white boss yep. and and the other white employees, and then Correct. you're having to take the snide comments from your your fellow black employees who Correct. are who are talking about you being a sellout or, right. or yeah, and then to see that that duality coming from both sides, and to see him keep pushing forward because he has to do this, and I loved how, I just love that in, in general, and then to add to that, I love how it this show the whole season is is littered with flashbacks to right. your father yes. and and your mother um, teaching you what it's what it's like to be uh, to be black Correct. and and what it's like to be a strong man just in general Correct. you know take that out of it just what does it mean to be a strong man and and there's at one point i think it's in the last episode maybe the 7th episode so it's an 8 episode series or season um, and then I think it's in the beginning of the seventh or eighth episode. It opens with you playing chess with your dad. Yes, correct. and I knew it. And when you said chess earlier, I was like, yep. Ah, that wasn't. Yep. I knew that that That's was the on opening purpose. of episode seven. Yes, yeah, yes. I, I I could see your the cleverness in your writing. It's it Thank wasn't, you. and that's why I love the show so much. And so anybody listening, please go see this show. Whether you're you're white, black, uh, Asian, doesn't matter. Go go see the show because you'll learn a lot, and it's and it's well written, and it's well acted, and it's well directed, and it's and it's something that. You won't just walk away from. You don't just turn your brain off and watch. Like it's not one of those. Correct. You know, no, it's, it's not, not. It's, it's not really just, not. <laughs> yeah, it's not make some make some popcorn and, and, and sit back. Right. You know, no, it's it's a sit there and actually watch and 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 enjoy learning something about a certain culture and hopefully learning something about yourself. So, Correct. Thank you. And now you um, you're coming up to season two. Yes. Um, you've already started filming uh, that. Yes, we um, are in production on season two. Yes. So, uh, as far as season two is uh, is concerned, you know what it, what are your hopes for it? Um, just, I mean, like, just general questions. I leave this uh, up to you. Just talk to me about season two. What what's been going through your mind lately while you've been um, basically preparing for it and shooting it? 
Uh, what's been going through my mind is always is the state of black America today and how can I best reflect that in my art? And when we look at a Nazi and when we look at where he was at the end of uh, episode eight of season one, how are we going to grow him and the other characters and situations in season two? So season two is really about a Nazi's growth. Um, season two actually has its own subtitle. So instead of just season two, it's going to be black on both sides, Sankofa. And Sankofa yes. Indi- Industries. Yeah. Yes. Right there at the end. So yeah. Sankofa is an actual, it's an African word. Um, it's a Swahili word. And what it means is uh, you must, uh, to know your future, you must uh, go back to your past. You know, and so knowing your past and knowing what came from the past and knowing where you came from is paramount in order for you to move forward. So all the characters in a Nazi especially wants to move forward. So how is he going to be able to do that? Is he going to repeat the mistakes of the past um, or is he going to create something that's going to create a more progressive and positive future for him, his family, you know, and also his surrogate family that he's got around him? So really, that's really the thesis of, of season two is black progress and and how can we make black progress in a world that doesn't necessarily want to see you make progress. So that's really what I'm looking for for season two and really what I'm going for. So I, I, I want to ask you a question that um, it just kind of came to me is um, it, it's it seems like you feel um, like white America is kind of bringing you down or wants to see you down. Do, do you feel like that's that's do you? Does, is is that like a, something you feel like every day? Do you do you feel like that a lot? Because um, me as a white male, I, I don't I don't see it. So and so and and then and I know me and I know my heart and that's nothing I ever want. Mm-hmm. I, I want everybody to succeed. Right. You know? Absolutely. And and so for me, I can't relate. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I'm not, and right. I'm not trying to be ignorant to it. So, Absolutely. So do you feel is that is that really a, a a thing still that's going on? And 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 in what way are you seeing it? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. And, and I like to stress this to people so that people can actually understand uh, where I'm coming from. And so many black people, I'm not going to speak for all black people, but so many black people, including myself, is we have no particular problem with white people. I have a problem with any institution that is keeping black people down, um, denying them uh, fair trials, um, denying us uh, basic rights of humanity, um, denying us basic rights of citizenship, um, denying us the basic rights to live um, and prosper. And a lot of times that's white people. You know, and I'm sorry to say that, but it is (laughs) what it is. So I have to be honest, you know, and the reason I say that is because, again, when we look at Trayvon Martin, when we look at Philando Castile, when we look at Mike Brown, when we look at Botham, you know, John, it's hard. Like I've been what people have to understand is a couple of years ago, this will probably sum it up, sum it up perfectly for a lot of people. Okay, A couple of years ago, I was at work, you know, working at Best Buy as a manager. So, again, retail, a lot of my stories involve retail because I know that specifically. And it felt like for three weeks straight, there was an unarmed black person being killed by mm-hmm. cops. And I went to work and, and one of my friends, my close personal friends, I won't name you know that person. Sure. But my close personal friends was like, yo, I don't even want to be here today. Like, I feel like I might just snap. I don't want to fucking be here. You know, and it was this, this was the day that we had all learned about Philando Castile yeah. and the, 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 the footage had leaked. And all you hear is, you know, his girlfriend screaming and his daughter crying. You know, that's all you hear. And you see his body. Literally, you literally can see the life leave his body. It is hard to be black in America and see versions of yourself being executed. It's hard, Mm. you know. So it's not something it's not like something I'm walking around every day saying I'm an angry black man. But there are times when it's very, very hard. And it seems like those times happen over and over and over. And we don't get the type of justice that is deserved. 
So when you ask me, you know, is that something that I feel every day? It's not something that I feel every day, but it's something that I carry with me often. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Wow. That was, <laughs> I, that was really well, like that was succinctly put. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, it's not every day that I have like a conversation like this. That's, that's like this, uh, like deep and, and, and personal. And so like, I appreciate you coming and sharing that with me. Absolutely. Um, because that helps me to understand and to be able to empathize more. Um, is there, is there anything that white people can do? I mean, it, it, just like, yeah. Is there anything that white people can do to, to help with this sort of thing? Uh, other than the ones that are being evil to stop. I, like, I understand that. <laughs> right. If you, know? if you could just, if you could just stop, <laughs> just, just, just stop. stop being evil. That would yeah. like really help. No, yeah. um, no, I get what you're saying. It's funny. Cause, uh, I was speaking, um, at the Minnesota web fest, uh, last year and I was speaking about um black creativity and the need for diversity in cinema and you know a guy asked me he's like as a white dude you know what can I do and honestly the easiest thing to do is just treat us like human beings like see us as human Mm -hmm. beings you know black people again on a monolith there's gonna be evil black people there's gonna be good black people there's gonna be bad black people there's gonna be mischievous there's gonna be conniving black people it's good it it just people you understand what mm. I'm saying? Just people, but just but every race is gonna have exactly. So bad people, what I say is, people. if you, when you look at us as people, and then if you can say, look, I don't understand exactly what's going on, but at the very least, I'm not gonna hinder progress. You understand what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Like because again, yeah. when we talk about Black Lives Matter, and then people come out with, with all lives matter. Do you really think that Black people don't understand that all lives yeah. matter? Do you really think that? Like, come <laughs> on, do, do do I have to have this conversation? Mm. Really? Like. No, I actually we, did have this conversation lately <laughs> uh, with someone, and I was and I was asking like why that was such a big big thing, and and they made me realize that I, it, I wasn't like oh it should be I was just asking like why did that happen? Why did it go from Black Lives Matter to All Lives Matter to mm-hmm. like Blue Lives Matter to all all these like why did it go to that? I was just asking that question, and they told me that it's it it's the thing was it was Black Black Lives Matter to put focus on the fact that absolutely black yes. men are, are getting way, killed but yeah here's the way i put it here's the way i put it some if somebody says i don't understand why you would say black lives matter okay so this is how i put it um does wearing pink cure breast cancer no i don't i don't believe so <laughs> okay so what is it for it's meant to it's meant to raise awareness awareness yeah to say sure. black lives matter means it's meant to raise awareness this is why we're saying right. it you know so of course we know all lives matter you understand what i'm saying yeah and i swear to god if it was a bunch of young unarmed white men you know what I'm saying being killed by cops we'd be the first one saying all lives matter mm-hmm. or a bunch of asians or any any other race or creed we'd be the first one saying that but it's a lot of black people a lot yeah. of unarmed innocent black people and so again this is something that we're saying to raise awareness so just don't get in the way of that at the end of the day. You know, if you're not going to do anything else, just don't get in the way of that. Don't get in the way of our right to feel how we feel and to get justice or bring awareness in the ways that we see fit. You know, as long as it's within the law, as long as you're not you're not breaking anything, killing anybody, you know, in a way we're trying to raise awareness because we're trying to make better lives for not just ourselves, but our children and the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I appreciate that thought of thinking about the next generation. Um, and, and then also to the, what you said of just don't hinder it. Right. If you're not doing anything to hinder it, just, just, you know, I guess keep, keep, keep going as you are. Right. And just do good every day and in every way that you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Just don't hinder it and, and let that progress keep going. Exactly. Do you feel like progress is being made? I feel as if progress is always being made, but I feel as if 
sometimes progress is a little too slow in certain areas. Okay. So when we talk about, if we're talking about police, police brutality, um, just police brutality. No, I don't feel like a lot of progress is being made. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know, we, there are still so many cases where, you know, cops get off scot-free or cops get a slap on the wrist or even normal citizens can just, it just feels like you can go out there and use black people's target practice. We have to stop that. You know, we have to stop that. Um, there was a, you can look it up. Um, I believe there was an FBI article that actually was released a couple of years ago. It was about four or five years ago. Yes, you're cool. um, I'll see. That was saying that. Um, are, you, are you asking me to look it up? Or are you saying like to the listeners they can look it up? The listeners can look it up. You can look it up too. Yeah. You know, right. if, While you're talking, you want yeah. specifics. Yeah. yeah. Um, that actually said that the police uh, uh, just pretty much overall, um, the police were infiltrated by white supremacists. And white supremacists were looking to go out and target black people. And they actually released this that said this is an actual thing that's happening. So, again, we need a complete overhaul of the system. We need a complete overhaul of the laws. We need a complete overhaul of the processes. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we need to make sure that people, innocent people, black, white, any creed of color, can feel safe. Because when somebody tells me, oh, the police are your friends, I don't really feel that. You know, I've been pulled over just jogging through a neighborhood, just jogging right before I joined the army, just jogging, wanted to get in shape, pulled over for jogging. Cop told me, oh, I got a call because people didn't feel safe. For real? Yeah. Damn, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was about to I was about to say I can relate, cause, uh, but I can't. I, 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 I don't necessarily like police myself. And, and I know it's, it's, it's in a different way for me, I, my opinion of it, my dad, my dad was a police officer. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and I've had conversations like this with him completely different time. And, and when he was on the force mm-hmm. for, for him, the biggest thing was, was uh, the police just wanted to catch speeders. He luckily was an investigator and, and, and detective and he didn't have to worry about that. Gotcha. But that was, that was like their biggest concern. He never heard anything like this. Um, so I, when I, all I say is like, I respect police because my dad was a police officer, right? But I don't like the idea that someone has so much power over me right. without like, without my say, right? Like that they, I, I can just be pulled over and he can, they can just claim whatever they want. Right. Like a buddy of mine at work just got pulled over today. He, uh, he was taking his four year old daughter to school at like eight in the morning mm-hmm. and a police officer pulled him over and he, he pulls over and, and he's and he doesn't even understand why he thought that the police officer needed had an emergency and, and right was, and then when he ends up pulling right behind him he's like he's like and, and for full disclosure this guy's white but um and and so the police officer ends up pulling him over tells him he was going 46 in a in a school zone and he goes wow i i i would never i would never go that speed especially with my daughter in the back right. and, and and we're almost there um, do you mind showing me the gun, the laser right. gun, to, to to prove it? And this police officer lost it at that point. Just like, no, 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 you know, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, like le- I don't legally have to show you. And I, and he was like, okay, I understand, I understand, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you you that you're. I I didn't know that. Right. I but I also I would just like the proof for my own peace of mind. And then he's like, no, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I'm not. He's like, okay. I, at that point, he realized there's no reasoning with right. this. Right. We're not going to yeah. win this argument. And, and, then, and then in the end, um, the, and, we're, and we'll get back to everything you're saying. Yeah, I just, absolutely. I just, um, Go ahead. I just wanted to, like, th- this type of thing just outrages me enough. And, and to think of it as being even heightened is just scary. But this, this uh, police officer just wrote him up the ticket, gave him attitude when he's genuinely just trying to understand and has the right to, I feel, to question that authority. Mm-hmm. And then. Uh, and then in the end, on the ticket, he showed me the ticket. 
the the uh, the officer got the car wrong, the model, and the it, it was it was wow. the car that he owned from a year ago that he sold, and his insurance has been changed since. And he checked his insurance card, and it's updated with his new car. Wow! So I'm really hoping he can go get out of that yeah, because that's not cool. Yeah, it's not. And, it's not. And to be a dick like that to someone right. who's four year old daughter. And right. by the way, um, his daughter is is mixed. His wife is is black. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, just uh, to to have her in the back. And 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 to think to just treat this this father it's this infuriating. Way, it's so it's infuriating. infuriating. Now imagine now imagine the same thing. Now imagine the same thing. But again, it's, we're going to do a reverse um, time to kill. Now pretend he's black. So the way we're going to do sure. that is is I get pulled over, you know, and I have to have a completely different mindset from the start. I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. Number one, I'm going right. to keep my hands exactly. Where the officer can see them. I, there was a time when I wasn't pulled over, but the cops were, and these these cops were actually pretty cool. But it's just the situation. They were coming to check because I was in the car having a conversation with somebody, and it was like really dark. And I get think they were just coming to check to make sure everything's cool. As soon as I get out, I put my hands up. You know, he's like, put, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But yes, I do. Yeah, you understand what you I'm saying? Do. Yes, I do. There might be good cops out there, and honestly, most of them might be. Right. But there, but it, all it takes is for these ones that are showing up in the news, the ones that are killing right. black folks. And, and black children, and then and it takes the ones that are assholes to just all, all it needs is for a, right. dick, uh, a cop to be a dick to you once, right? And you don't trust any cops for the That's rest of your life. When you are legally allowed to hold a gun, legally allowed to draw it and point it at somebody, one bad apple does spoil the bunch. I'm sorry, it does. It does. Yeah. You have to be you have to be held to a higher standard, mm-hmm. and, and it's just common sense. And and I I've heard before that um, police deal with a lot of uh, high stress situations. Uh, all the time, and and they, their job is very stressful. They are, for the most part, they get they get into it to protect and and to serve. Right. And so I've heard, you know, that just try to anytime there's a situation with a police officer, try to de-escalate it as best you can. Try to try to not not escalate it on in in your own terms. But right. I.e. with you holding up your hands, correct. Trying to just comply as best you can, correct. Um, but the thing is, I I do understand that that if if they if they think that all it takes is one bad traffic stop for them to end up getting Correct. killed. I do understand Correct. that. But at the same time, when when someone's getting out of their car and, and has their hands up or someone's not acting that way, like it's, I, I feel like you shouldn't treat them like they are. Right, correct. And full disclosure, my best friend, one of my best friends in this whole wide world is a police officer. Mm-hmm. And the stories he tells me, he's a black police officer, mm-hmm. and the stories he tells me, like little kids running up to him saying, "Are you gonna shoot me, officer?" No I'm black? way. Oh yeah, are you gonna shoot me, officer? Because I'm black. You gonna shoot me because I'm black? Like even even to him in, in being a as, black man. Yes, yes. So what I'm saying so is it's, this it's, is in, it's, this it's is indoctrinated. Yeah, it, it's this is indoctrinated in young black people because their parents are afraid and they want to teach them that the police are not your friend. You understand what I'm saying? Like you say, you respect police. I want to respect police. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd love to wake up in the day and be like, "Hey, how you doing, Mr. Officer?" And give him a donut and a handshake. I would love to do that. <laughs> sure, you know what yeah. I'm but we don't live in a world, and we should live in a world where, in the greatest country in the world, we should live in a world where there can be a two-way respect. You know, yeah. me as a black man, I should be able to respect you no matter what color you are. And if you're a servant of the law, I should be able to respect you double. But history proves that that is a fatal mistake to do so. Mm-hmm. Fatal mistake. Fatal. You're right. I looked it up, and it's white supremacists, other domestic extremists maintain an active presence in U.S. police departments and other law enforcement agencies. A striking reference to that conclusion, notable for its confidence in the policy prescriptions that accompany it, appears in a classified FBI counterterrorism policy guide from April 2015 obtained by uh, The Intercept. I, I believe that's the, um, 
uh, website or uh, magazine that, that we're on. Um, the guide, which details the process by which the FBI enters individuals on a terrorism watch list, the known or suspected terrorist file, notes that domestic terrorism investigations focused on militia extremists, white supremacist extremists, and sovereign citizen extremists often have identified uh, active links to law enforcement officers. There you go. Yeah. So there. So uh, in, in talking about that. With the police, the fact of the matter is th- there's white supremacists that are in there in that um, society, and so you don't know where they are. So Correct. Absolutely, you can't. You, it's it's going to be difficult to trust one. And please don't take this to mean that like I, all police are bad, because that's obviously not the case. But it's just the awareness that needs to be brought up to the fact that you're, like you're saying. And I'm not even saying that. I'm not saying all police are bad. If my house gets broken into tonight. What's the first one I'm going to call? I'm going to call 911 and the police are coming, right? Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking about if there is one bad apple, it does spoil the bunch for the simple fact that, again, common sense-wise, if you can legally own a gun, if you can legally draw the gun, and if you can legally point it at somebody, then you can take that person's life. And if you want to take that person's life because of the color of their skin, you are wrong. And sadly, that that occurs. Is is there anything that we can do? Like, it seems like it's it's impossible because— these police officers that end up shooting um, anybody, like if a police officer ends up killing somebody in the line of duty, they, they end up getting like paid leave for the most part, and then it's all investigated. But then the the higher ups in the police um, organization try to make it as small and 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 they, this they is, try to these bury are things it. that have these these are things that have that have come out that have, that have been said that have been admitted to. I can't recall um, which one it was. I mean, and the problem is there are so many. I can't recall which incident it was, but there was an incident where, um, I don't know if this is the Botham Jean case um, or another case, but um, African-American, unarmed, shot and killed, and the police sergeant, whoever was in charge of the police, admitted to suppressing evidence. Admitted to suppressing evidence. And then, so do you, do you know what happened with that? Like the- he was fired. Fired? He was fired. But the simple fact is, again, that we're admitted to suppressing evidence. How much evidence suppression... You know, has happened over the, the years. Yeah. You know, that is just, that's disheartening. That's when we talk about is it hard to be black? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How do you feel about that? You know, because again, like these are things that are on my mind. It may not necessarily be on your mind all the time, but it's on my mind all the time. Yeah. You know, because again, I'm, I have a child. I'm raising a child in this world. I'm existing in this world. I'm mm-hmm. trying to tell stories in this world. I'm trying to help somehow, some form or fashion, make this world a better place. But it's hard when, you know, you have to think about those things. You have to sit down and really consider the fact that. There are so many incarcerated black individuals, and we don't know how many are incarcerated because of issues like this. Right. You know, how many, I mean, how many black men have to be in prison 17, 18 years, come out, sue the city or, or sue the, uh, uh, the courts or sue somebody, get $1.3 million because they were, you know, wrongfully incarcerated? Like, how many more of those do we need? How many more examples do we need to say that we need to do something? Yeah. You know, and how we help do that is we have to put pressure on our local politicians. You know, it's going to be a group effort. You know, we have to say, hey, listen, we don't vote for you unless you put this on the table. This has to be something that's on the table that you're going to run and actually that you're actually going to say, I'm going to change this. You know, that's the democracy we have set up. You can't force anything, but you can only sway through your vote. Yeah. You're a very educated and smart man. I appreciate <laughs> you coming on, man. Thank you, man. All, all praise to my father, Reginald Halls. He's the one that um, taught me everything, yeah? honestly. Yeah, Reginald Halls. And that's why 
a lot of my storytelling, um, a lot of it is based off of uh, father-son relationships. Blue I Collar see Hustle is father-son. Yeah. Black and Both Sides is father-son. Um, what I'm going to do next has a really heavy kind of father-son type connotation to it. Um, so my father was always there for me, and he's one of the reasons why, you know, as a black man, I try to represent myself in a way that other black people could be proud of. Because I, I was very proud of my father, and yeah. the community was proud of him. He was a leader in the community. So um, and now you're a father yourself. Yes. Um, of one child? Yes, one child. How old? Three. All right, boy or girl? Girl. What's I love you, Amina. Amina. I love you, Amina. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> So um, tell me about that. What's that like being a father? Um, very, I, very life-changing. Very, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Very extremely life-changing. She's great. She's like, she's three going on 30. That's what I tell her all the time. She's so smart. <laughs> she's like whip smart. Her mother does a great job. Um, and, you know, I have a little bit to do with it too. But, you know, she she's so smart, man. And she's just so bright-eyed. And, like, she's the type of kid that can, like, make your day just that much, like, brighter. You know, like, yeah. if I'm having a bad day, she comes up to me. She's like, Daddy! You know, she just like wants to be around me and be on me like and we get to watch Doc Stuffins together. And, you know, like it's great. And honestly, one of the she was, if not the biggest inspiration, um, certainly a huge inspiration for why I started my journey uh, doing what I do. You know, she was in the very first episode of Blue Collar Hustle, you know, the very first mm-hmm. thing I ever did uh, because I wanted her to be able to look back, you know, years from now and say, you know, her father tried to do something on his own of his own and then leave something for her. Wow. So, um, you're a big anime cartoon fan. Yes. All right. So as far as that's concerned, when it comes to your daughter, Uh have you introduced her to to many things yet? Or is she not, is she not, not, I own a child. She's not. Well, she's own. I don't, you you know know what I mean? I got you right. You know what I mean? I don't. (laughs) No, no. She's, Um, she's not, She's not quite there yet. Like yeah. she lets me know what she likes, and then there's sure. some stuff I try to introduce her to. She, but she's not quite there yet. Because the type of anime I like to watch, <laughs> right? She, you know what I'm saying? I'm not like a Pokemon yeah. type, you know, dad. Like, <laughs> I I'm, am. Yeah, yeah, right. But yeah. I'm like, I'm, I like more of like the deeper type stories, sure, yeah. you know. Yeah. So she's like Doc McStuffins, Frozen. Um, right. Yeah. She loves watching. Uh, one of the things we love watching together is uh, Gummy Bears on Disney Plus because that's something okay. me and my sister Shawnee used to watch all the time when we were kids. So actually cool. now, like twenty years later, like watching her watch it and, and like jumping up and down, Gummy Bears <laughs> bouncing here and there, like watching her do that, like reminds me of me when I was a kid. And I'm just like, this is like the greatest thing ever. Oh so man, I can I'm only probably imagine. thinking like when she's like, I'm probably gonna give her like two years, two and then, three and years. Then what is the first thing you're gonna introduce? The first her to? anime. Oh yeah. my god. Um. There are so many. Uh, <laughs> Have you thought about this? Yeah, I'll probably start off. Like, I'll probably start off with something like Sailor Moon. She'll ah, probably, you know, perfect. what I'm saying she'll like Sailor Moon. Yeah. Um, my sister, we, I'm not gonna no, forget it. We, all of us, we loved Sailor Moon. Like, okay, before we knew what anime <laughs> Dude, was, Sailor Moon was my first crush. Before, yes, before <laughs> we knew what before we knew what anime was, we watched Sailor Moon. Right, and it's funny because you grow up and you look back, you're like, oh, that was an anime. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, Sailor Moon was on Fox Kids. I'll never forget when it premiered on Fox Kids when we were like 11, 10, 11 years old on the Fox Kids on Saturdays. It was um, Power Rangers, Bobby's World, Eat the Cat, and then uh, Sailor Moon. And we would like fighting evil by daylight, and that's why it's in black and both sides. Black and both sides, yeah, exactly. That's and a callback to our childhood. I and I, I figured I was like, there's no way that he, they absolutely because I yes. knew that you guys are brother and sister, you know? yes. And so I was like, they definitely watched that together. Yes, and- we did. Just like just like on black and both sides, that's what we did. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I think Sailor Moon. I'll start off with Sailor Moon, and then we'll go from there. 
cool. Yeah. So when you talk about the the, the, the darker or, or deeper ones, yes. Uh, like, so what what are we talking about here? Like what are what are the animes uh, you're Cowboy into? Bebop, Rock which I just found out is on Hulu, and yes. I'm about to start yes. watching as yes. soon as I get some free time from Absolutely. all this editing. Cowboy that's Bebop next. is probably, if not the greatest anime of all time, it's top five. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Neon Genesis Evangelion, Razafon, Full Metal Panic, Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, oh, Samurai Shampoo. Love Samurai Shampoo. I just got told the other day at work to watch that. Watch Samurai. I have, I haven't watch seen Cow- it yet. It's the same. So, uh, Cowboy Bebop and Samurai Shampoo were the same studio. Cool. So, Cowboy Bebop came before it. So, watch yeah. Cowboy Bebop first, and then you'll see the influences in Samurai okay. Shampoo. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just, I'm an anime nerd. Inuyasha, like the whole. The Inuyasha whole, was yeah, my Yeah, the whole jam, Adult man. Swim line. Oh, FLCO, let me not forget. Uh, the whole <laughs> Adult Swim lineup. You know, kind of really got us into anime. So at first, it was you'd come home and you'd watch Toonami, you know, mm-hmm. from like three to like six, yep. and then Friday nights or Saturday nights, it was Adult Swim, and it yep. was like the, the the more deeper anime, uh-huh. you know. And in a lot of ways, anime influences a lot of my storytelling. You know, even though my story my storytelling is 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 much different in theme. A lot of the setups, a lot of the foreshadowing, a lot of the characterizations, a lot of that is based on anime. Sure. And that's why I made Shawnee's character in 90, I made her like basically like an anime character. She loves anime. And that's she, why, her, her hair That's changed, why her hair too. is different in every episode. Cool. Yeah, exactly, because we're, we're paying homage. I love it, A lot of anime, so yeah, yeah. Big anime fan. I love it when I can see the heart that is put behind the writing and and, and the execution of of a TV show. Thank you, thank you. Like yours. Like, um, I I was was saying it earlier, and I'm just going to, like, reiterate it, that when I was watching the show, seeing the writing and the nuances that were there were just, I was like, there's so much love and care, and and this is a a passionate – uh, project that I'm watching right now. Thank you. Yeah, and thank so you. definitely, absolutely. It, it must have felt really good for you to be able to. It did. Yeah. It did. It did. Absolutely. So, did. so your next project coming up that I know you're super excited about. Yes. Let's talk about that. You, you said you got yeah. your Jaro um, TV. Yes. Or Jaro yes. Media. Excuse yes. me. Um, so, and and you said that the premise of that it has. Yes. It's, it's anime inspired. Two, yeah. I got two projects coming up this year. So the 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 project that we're talking about, I just signed a deal uh, with Jaro Media. Shout out to uh, Mr. Richard Devon. CEO of uh, Draw Media, great guy, and so you're making the, the right decision. You're making the right decision, <laughs> yes, sir. Thank, I like that cosign. Thank you. <laughs> Six months ago, I sent him a pitch uh, for a series. Cool. And so th- the premise, I can't give too much away, but the premise is kind of like yeah, whatever, you, whatever you can right now. Bonnie and Clyde meets Cowboy Bebop. So I'm for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm for so, it. Whatever, I'm for so it, man. That's if, awesome. If you see Cowboy Bebop, you know, Cowboy Bebop is like bounty hunters in space. We're not going to space. I don't have that budget. Not yet. One day. Um, <laughs> one day, yes. One day I'll have that budget. Uh, but basically, the tone, the tone of the show and the characterization, um, I love that anime so much. It's so deep. The characters are so great. The writing is incredible. And just the atmosphere they created, the soundtrack, everything is so incredible. So it's an inspiration. You know, we're going to pay a little bit of homage to it. And so if we take Bonnie and Clyde and Cowboy Bebop and mash it together, that's kind of an idea of, of what you have. Anybody who's a real big Cowboy Bebop fan, I think, will kind of understand what I'm saying. Like I said, tone, presentation, soundtrack, all of that. Like, that's what we're going for with this one. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. And then um, and then obviously we have Black on Both Sides, season two. Black on Both Sides, season two. Yep. So like I said, Black on Both Sides, Sankofa. Um, that's the official mm-hmm. subtitle for the second season. Yes, yeah, Sankofa. Yeah, um, you're right. Of uh, of season two, and really just again, we're we're actually shooting that right now. Last weekend, uh, we shot the first two episodes in a teaser, and hopefully by the time this comes out, I think uh, the teaser will be out. Mm-hmm. Uh, official not official announcement will be out that we got greenlit from Seeker TV. Uh, thank you, George Reese, always believing in me. He believed in me 
ever since we only had three episodes of Blue Collar Hustle in the can of the first season, really? he believed in me. Yeah. And, cool, and Secret man. TV has been really, really great as far as pushing us, pushing my career, pushing all of us as a uh, as a collective. Uh, so, yeah, so we're going to do that. And, yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be it's going to be a good year. It's going to yeah. be. Yeah, I'm going to be busy, which is good. You yeah, know, right. When we first started this, you know, you never think you never really know if anybody's going to really like what you do. So you just hope that, like, maybe like couple hundred people will like it mm. you know but then when you have like actual like corporations say like hey we want this and then we want you what can you make for us like that's the dream that's the dream so i'm just glad i can keep going year four and yeah we're just gonna keep going so i know that you got out of the um army back mm-hmm. in 2014 correct so it's been uh, so there's a little bit of time seems like right when you got back you kind of hit the ground running not was not there... necessarily not not necessarily so what happened was is I started at working at Best Buy when I was 18. It was my first job. Okay. And, and really liked it and really took to it and loved helping out customers, loved learning about technology, just kind of loved the atmosphere. And then I kind of saw it going downhill when the recession hit. Like nobody was really shopping like that anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I need to make some money somehow. And so my father had been in the Air Force. My older brother had been a Marine. Uh, my cousin had been uh, in the Navy, so I was like, "Well, Army's the last one." So, you <laughs> yeah, know, what I'm saying? yeah. Let's so check off all. Let's the check up. Yeah. So me and my best friend again, uh, we decided we were going to do it together. Uh, we went in. He decided to go um, um, the Army uh, Reserves, and I went active. So I did the four years there, and then when I came out, I didn't really have a lot of offers to do something different, and it was either like. You could, you know, join the police force or you could be, you know, you could do a firefighter. And, you know, I respect that, but that wasn't, like, where my heart lay. So I was like, uh, let me just kind of go back to what I did. So I kind of went back to Best Buy for a little while. And then it kind of started two two years after that, yeah, when I met uh, Quentin Williams and uh, Roberto, uh, uh, Roberto Cruz. I got promoted to be assistant store manager at the store in Noonan, mm-hmm. and that's when I met them. And so Quentin, we would always talk about like rap and hip hop and things like that. And Quentin, he gave me a flash drive one day and he's like, yo, I'm a rapper. I would love to hear what you think about it. And in the back of my head, I was like, I'm never going to listen to this. <laughs> you know, because everybody's a rapper. You know, yeah. everybody's like a musician yeah. or something. I'm just like, I'm never going to listen to this. Check out my SoundCloud. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm yeah. never going to listen to this, but, yeah. you know, appreciate you. And just, I was at home and, and on a whim, I just popped it in and I listened to it. And I was like, yo, this is really good. I was like, this is really good. I listened to the whole thing. So the next day, I was like, yo, this is great. And so me, him, and uh, Sosa, we got together, and the original plan was is to help Q with his career um, to do, like, a couple music videos. So I was going to write the treatment for the music videos, and we were going to find somebody to shoot it. And then it hit me. I was like, yo, we, we live some really interesting lives, and, and nobody really touches on retail like that, in, in, that I feel like in an in in-depth way. And, you know, as far as, like, young black millennials and just kind of, like, the hustle of, like, going to work, taking care of your family, but also you have something that you're really passionate about, like music. Mm. And this was before Atlanta came out. This was before Insecure came out, like a couple months before. So really the only mainstream representation of, uh, of black people that we had was blackish at the time. So I was like, instead of doing music videos, I said, our, our lives would make really good TV shows. And it just yeah, hit me. Yeah, and it just hit me, and it just kind of hit me. So, you know, Blue Collar Hustle, the Blue Collar Hustle part, the title was kind of uh, inspired by the blue shirts, blue Best Buy shirts. You right. Know? So I went home, and I just... <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, I and it. I just remember typing in how to write a screenplay. And I just researched it, and then I wrote an outline, and then I wrote the first episode, and I told them, hey, listen, everybody come to my house. 
Um, I got something I want to show you guys. So it was Quentin uh, Sosa, um, another friend of mine named Howard. And this is before I had Shawnee involved. And so I wrote the first episode, bought them over, and I was like, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. I said, instead of music, doing music videos, we're going to do a web series. said, and this is going to be something that's going to really show the world who we are, you know? And then afterwards, Shawnee had been working in theater a lot. So I didn't know she even wanted to be a part of it because it's just like she probably thought, oh, you guys are just kind of screwing around because none of us had ever acted before. I would never written a script, nothing. So originally her character was supposed to be like a reoccurring guest star, like two episodes. She read the outline and she was like, uh, why am I only in this for two episodes? <laughs> That's I was Shawnee like, right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> she was like, why am I only in this for two episodes? Yes. <laughs> uh, duh. I was like, uh, I didn't know if you were going to be busy. I didn't know if you want to do it. She was like, no, I want to do this, and I'm your sister, so you have to put me in it, or I'm going to tell mom and dad. And I was like, oh, God, okay, fine. You're in awesome. it now. So that's how like kind of like the collective started. That's like the origin story. And so you know, that's what got everything popping was really just believing in, in Q's original vision with his music. So with the first season of Blue Collar Hustle, a lot of that is a lot, maybe about 85% is based off stories or situations that we had all personally been in over that year. And so in each episode was named after a song from his album. And I thought that it was really creative what he was doing. And so he kind of helped fuel the writing process for that first season. And then it just kind of, everything just kind of took off from there. Wow. And didn't the first season get met with a lot of uh, awards? It did. Yes, it did. We We were... We we got we were in over we were official we were official selections to over thirty different film festivals. Um, we won fourteen awards for the first season. We were we won best representation of communities of color at the Minnesota Web Fest. That was the very first award we ever won. I was really excited. That's gonna make you feel so good, especially very, that yeah. particular award. Yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. After everything yes. you said and was, what's important yes, to you. Yes, it was so. I was like, that was the validation. You know, oh, like, yeah. oh wow. And then we won best web series at Urban uh, Media Makers. And, um, oh, Q, Quentin, he won the Best Actor Award at the L.A. Shorts Awards. Um, very first film role, very first time acting, you know, so that was great for him. Yeah. Um, we won a Producers Award um, from, the Southern Shorts, uh, from the Southern Shorts Awards. We won a Producer Award. So all of us that were producers got that award and just a lot of different stuff. So sure. that And that really helped build the morale, you know, for our, our first season, first time acting, first time writing, first time doing anything. So that was that was really great, you know. And honestly, it started... It was funny because my sister asked me kind of after episode three or four came out, she was like, were you nervous? She was like, because you were kind of cool about everything. And I was like, yes, I was nervous. <laughs> what if this sucks? I was like, yes, I was nervous. But I couldn't tell you guys that. You guys were all looking at me to be the leader. Yes, I was nervous. I was sweating bullets. But I was just so glad it came out and, you know, everybody liked it. And, you know, Sika liked it. And most importantly, yeah. the audience liked it and the black community liked it. So that was the most. If we didn't win any awards. As long as the black community said, we're proud of this, this is something that we'll watch, then I was happy. Man, that's great. Yeah. And y'all got greenlit for a second season two, right? We got greenlit for season two, and that's when Sika kind of stepped in and really started uh, helping us, um, not just on production, but on the marketing side. You know, really? Season okay. one, yeah, season one was all us. Season one was paid for out of pocket, sure, almost 100% uh, by me and the team. Yeah. And then season two, a lot of it, you know, as well came out of our pocket as well. But, you know, Sika stepped in and said, we want to help you with this. And so we worked out a deal where they got short-term exclusivity. And that's when I first learned or started learning the value of exclusivity because the streaming wars were just starting. Yeah. You know, so for short-term exclusivity, um, you know, they contributed a portion uh, towards production and marketing. And then when season two came out, season two was the, the biggest 
um, premiere that they had had, you know, at that point. And we were number one. Uh, they have a top 10 for uh, most watch. We were number one for that for two months. And wow. we were in the top 10 for six months. <laughs> wow. Right, yeah. So, and that, you know, kind of led to a bigger, you know, yeah. relationship between me and, um, you know, Mr. Reese. And, you know, that's what led to um, them coming in and pretty much like 50, 50, 50 funding um, black on both sides. Man, and, and I love it because um, they obviously cherish you and in, in your work because when I go to that website now to go watch, um, like recently when I've been rewatching Black on Both Sides, and even when I first opened up the the uh, website mm-hmm. to, to watch it, that was the first thing that I saw. It was your yeah. face. Right. I was like, oh, okay, Thank I don't you, have to search for this. I appreciate that, Mr. Reese. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yes. that's still the case. And it's, and it's like they have their whole subsection for um, like uh, – uh, people of color. Yep, they have people um, of color. They yeah. have um, LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like every different, like kind of like different perspectives. That's which awesome. I, yes, I which I that. really, really, really appreciate because yeah. I've been able to myself learn so much more about different cultures and creeds and things from just watching their series that they have on there. Yeah, and just watching them. I love the fact that we were kind of able to grow together when we started. They had about, they had five. They had about 30, 30 shows and five hundred episodes across those thirty shows, and now I think they're up to maybe like. What, like a hundred, I think maybe like almost like two, three hundred shows. I don't know. Just keep yeah. on. I'll look it up. And a, okay, and a and a whole lot of episodes. So you know, just being a part of that, that whole, just being a part of what they're doing. I love it. You know, and I just like the fact that he took a gamble on me because really that's what he was doing. Because I was an untested, untried, you know, nowhere, very first screenwriter, didn't know anything from Adam. I taught myself, and so just the fact that he, you know, had faith in me. Him and uh, Mr. Richard Devon had faith in me and, and a bunch of other people. My entire team had faith in me, mm. you know, because they could have easily said, what do you know about this and why should we trust you? Yeah, they no one ever said. No one ever said that not one time. Not Man, one time. that's cool. Not one time. And, and, and obviously their trust was worth it and paid off. Absolutely. Because you've proven that you, you, you even though you didn't know what you were doing at right, first, exactly. you figured it out and you trusted yourself. I gave them what I call the RZA plan, um, you know, like Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. I'm a big fan of them and I'm a big fan of the RZA and when he started it with nine guys, you know, they were in a, in a of course, they were in a worse position than I was. You know, I'm a I'm middle class black guy, uh, full disclosure, you know, and they were from the hood hood in yeah. the 90s, you know, during the crack epidemic. Sure. You know, and RZA yeah. got nine guys together, nine different guys. And some of them were not friends. A lot of them were like rivals, want to kill each other. He got all of them together and said, give me five years and we will be on the top of the rap game. And that just really resonated with me. And so I told my team the same thing. I said, give me five years. I said, give me five years, and I'm not going to say I'm, I'm going to get us to the top of the rap game. I said, but I'm going to get us somewhere. You know, somebody's going to pay us for our stories. And so that's where we are now. So I'm very proud of that. Man, I just I, – I couldn't I couldn't figure it out real fast. But as far okay. as – I couldn't, like, find how many exactly were on it. And gotcha. I want to keep talking anyway and not okay. just focus on that. But, um, yeah, it does – there's a lot of – uh, amazing stuff on here though and your face is still there black storytelling right thank you there. i love yep. it hey i love it i love it black storytelling let's get it man it, but your your ambition and your drive um and and the that will that you've been able to in, instill in yourself and and to instill in the those that are with you your your group of people who are putting these uh shows together mm-hmm. and and trying to advance your your mission and and your um your yeah, like your mission and, and what you guys are wanting to do is 
it's just it's amazing to see and i appreciate you coming on and talk about no, it No, thank you I'm, I'm i'm very happy to be here absolutely absolutely an inspiration thank you so i know that your dad was an inspiration for absolutely. you from what you talked about is there any is there any other people in your lives who've been inspirations oh yeah absolutely i mean i mean i have to say my mother as well sure you know, my father yeah. from an intellectual perspective from a determination perspective, from a you have to get it how you have to get it and don't give up perspective. My mother from a creative perspective, because my mother really like pushed us as far as like the creative arts and things like that. Like she would she was the choir director um, for a lot of years in our schools and she made sure that we were right up front. You know, I was the drummer, I would play the African drums and Shawnee was the singer. Hmm. You know, but she made sure we were right there, you know, and she pushed us too because it wasn't like a handout. You know, like we'd be in practice for choir and then we'd go home and then she practiced with us some more. Like, I'll never forget, she used to have us do um, the harmonies from um, The Sound of Music. The hills are alive. And that's mm-hmm. how, to this day, I'll always know, my heart will be blessed with the sound of music. <laughs> and I'll sing once more. Because that was my part, you know? So, gotcha. like, my mother was, like, put. she instilled that in us, like, a love for the arts and a love for kind of, like, performance. Mm-hmm. And then on a more creative like from an artist's perspective, um, the rapper Nas was probably my first big inspiration just because the writing, intricate. His writing is so intricate. His writing is so ambitious. He's probably, he is the best storyteller and he's the greatest rapper in my opinion. If his words read like poetry. If you just read his lyrics, mm. it's like you're you're reading poetry. I'm gonna do that now. Read it. Yeah, it's I very love very Nas. yes, absolutely. It's very. I mean, when he says, you know, wow. rappers, I monkey flip them with the funky rhythm. I be kicking musician, inflicting composition of pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing cocaine, holding the M16. See with the pen, I'm extreme now. Bullet holes up in my people. You know, like if you read that, that's poetry. I could I could I was you seeing can it, see like, it right where you, you were kind of stopping exactly. Was, you can yeah. see it. So as a writer. You know, if I can't see it, how's the audience going to be able to see it? How's my cinematography going to be able to see it? How's the audience going to be able to see it? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So Nas was kind of like the first, like, just listening to him over and over and over. And then cinematically, Spike Lee. Oh, okay. My father, um, when I was like maybe 10 or 11, I was watching Do the Right Thing. Yeah. You know? And it blew my brain to bits. I was just like, wow. You know? Because I was always a big reader, but, you know actually watching things you know you're going to get a different level of course of understanding or a different you know feeling so do the right thing and then malcolm x you know so do the right thing malcolm x more better blues clockers um even all the way to his newest film black Klansman, the she's gotta have it series he the way a lot of people think that his message is kind of ham-fisted and that he's preaching i don't think that sometimes i feel like this is something that needs to be said you know, and as artists, we have to decide when we want to kind of like draw back and say, leave this up to your own interpretation or say, this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, he is unapologetically like going to tell you how he feels. And I feel like the bravery in that is so great. And yeah, he's just he's just an inspiration. And then a huge inspiration. I have to say Donald Glover, like. Oh, oh, Don. I was thinking Danny Glover. Sorry. Oh, oh, Danny. Glover. <laughs> you was like, like, oh, dude. Oh, how are you gonna get yeah, that? That, that would have been funny too. Yo, shout out to Danny Glover though. He's really he's dope, good. But yeah, I was shout like, out, yeah, Dan, no, Danny's glow. Danny's dope. Right. <laughs> that was definitely a curveball. <laughs> that was. That would have. That's funny. Sorry, no, yeah, Danny's Donald dope. Glover. But yeah, Atlanta, Donald Glover. Atlanta. Yeah. Community, yeah. But even before that, again, just um, before I even saw Community, I knew him as a rapper. Yeah, Childish Gambino. Childish Gambino. Mm-hmm. So I was in Korea. You know, my first duty station in the army. Do my name like Princess Di. Yeah, that line. I was exactly. like, oh man. Um, when he put out uh, the Camp album, and mm-hmm. I listened to it, and there's some of the things that he was saying were so relatable. Just 
as a as a black male kind of growing up in a way where he felt like he was ostracized because he liked different things you know than what we call consider stereotypically black mm. and the very last song on that album is called that power and there, there's like four minutes where he just talks after he's spitting he just talks and i'm like yo this is the only dude besides kanye west that i would just listen to on an album just talk for like three or four minutes straight. <laughs> yeah yeah because kanye does yeah, this too. yeah because the story he's telling is just great you know what i'm saying so yeah. and then when atlanta came out i was just like okay can i really do this like he's the only person that like i'm like makes me kind of like second guess myself a little bit where i'm like <laughs> damn, this is good. You know, like, how am I going to live up to this? So, like, Atlanta is the best TV show I've ever seen in my entire life. And he he's the one that kind of made me say, okay, I can wear all the hats. I can produce, I can write, I can act, and I can direct, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. He's the one, like, I saw him do it. Like, when you look at those credits and you see Donald Glover, Donald Glover, Donald Glover, Donald Glover, Donald Glover, I'm like, damn, you know? Yeah. So he's the first one that made me think, okay, it's possible to do everything. You know, I know Spike Lee was doing it a little bit, but then he, he got to a point where he stopped acting and just kind of stayed behind the camera, whereas Donald Glover does both. So I looked at him as inspiration to study him to see how to kind of do it all, you know? So, yeah, those are probably my biggest inspirations, I would say, out of, out of, out of so many different inspirations. Wow, man. That's incredible. You know, Donald Glover's, uh, I, I, I don't think he has it, but I think he's really close to getting the, the, the EGOT. Yeah, so he's got Grammy. He's yeah. the first rapper. He's the first rapper to win Song of the Year and Record of the Year for This Is America. First Good. rapper ever. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a whole other conversation. But, uh, yeah, he's got a Grammy. Um, he's got an Emmy. Definitely has an um, Emmy. With yep. Atlanta. Yeah, with Atlanta. Yep, best actor. And then he also won uh, Best Directing for a Comedy Series. He's the first black man to ever win that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Best Directing for a Comedy Series. Awesome. Man. Golden Globe uh, for Atlanta and for Best Actor for Atlanta. Um, so he's got three. Okay. He needs a Tony. He needs an Oscar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could see. I can honestly see both of those in his yeah. future. A lot of people. I, I think I'm trying to remember. I know John Legend has it. I don't. No, I don't think. It, I thought I was gonna say I think Common, but I think Common's a Tony away. He's got everything yeah, but the Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Common's Common was a big inspiration too. Common is so dope, ladies mm. and gentlemen. The C O double M O N. Yeah, like, Common is so dope to me. Yeah, I Didn't love he, Common. And he, he just um, he he just hosted something, right? Or, well, he was a uh, he hosted. Maybe well, he, he was a presenter at the Oscars. That's what I'm remembering. Yeah, I, I think remember. he was a presenter at the Oscars, and then over All Star Weekend, he did a lot of. That's stuff. what I'm thinking yeah, of. Thank you. It was the yeah. All Star game. Yep. Yeah, he yeah. did a lot because he was in Chicago, and he's, yeah. he's, from, he's from Chicago. Yep. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, uh, Common's a huge inspiration of mine lyrically, and then also you know he acts and things like that, but mostly mm-hmm. like lyrically, he's a huge inspiration of mine too. Yeah, he, he's he's all right. I mean, it's definitely like not Donald Glover when it comes to, like acting. <laughs> I mean, uh, or like like yeah, who is right? Exactly. I mean, there's only like three people that. You could probably compare to Donald Glover like in the entire world. So yeah. Like, other other than him it would be Danny Glover. Right, exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Shout out to Danny Glover. He's dope. Man. He's been in a lot of movies that I liked. Man, I, I, I that that's really cool. I, I, I wouldn't have um I wouldn't have been able to guess that, but thanks for sharing that. And I thank you. I love that you you know what you wanted to do. You wanted to be this filmmaker and you wanted yes. to be able to tell your stories and yes. you not only wanted to do that, but you wanted to make sure that someone paid you to do it. Um, and, and eventually, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you right. can't, yeah. You can't be a starving artist forever. There's yeah. gotta be an end game. There's always gotta be an end game. There's yeah. always gotta be a plan and a plan. 
and in doing that, um, you've been looking at those people who inspired you, like Donald Glover, and yes. seeing how he did it. Yes. And instead of seeing that and, and, and letting that kind of cripple you, which I think a lot of people, including myself at, at times in my life, where that, ha- that happens, it's like, oh, man, I can never be that, so why right. even bother? You know, kind of an all-or-nothing type of mentality, but instead right, right. you say, you, you, use, you let that inspire you. Yes. And that's the right way to go about it. Right, yeah, because, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I, have, I have those days, man. I have those days where I'm yeah. just like, how how do they do this because this is ridiculous you know like it's ridiculous to just be that talented but again listen research like donald glover he has a lyric again um where he says um uh, i got the dedication the talent's just a bunch of luck hard work and dedication you understand what i'm saying yeah like the talent's only going to get you so far yeah like how hard are you willing to grind to get this that's what's going to determine where you end up wow Pearls of wisdom right here. Yeah, yeah. Hip hop, I'm telling you, man. Hip hop saved my life. (laughs) My favorite song growing up, um, like early teenage years, for like two or three years, I listened to it almost every day, was I Think I Can by Nas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know I can be what I want to be. Yeah, before we came to this country, we were kings and queens, never porch monkeys. There were empires in Africa called Kush. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you know exactly what I'm saying. I'm a stand, man. Come on, man. Any Nas Nas song you throw at me, man. Yeah, that was something. Oh, man, that one. That that made me like Nas, and then I listened to his other stuff. Yep. I haven't listened to him recently, but I'm about to now. Like as soon as you leave, I'm putting on Nas. Yeah, I'm telling sure. you. Yeah, I put it on now in the background if I if I wasn't afraid of getting like copyright or something. Right. <laughs> listen to um if you haven't listened to it, listen to Life Is Good. That was that right. was his I'll last full solo album. It came out in 2012. Very like excellent man, excellent excellent. He talks about a lot of things in his life that was going on, the divorce from Khalees, but then also other things like raising his daughter as a, as a single man. Um, just lyrically so proficient. The fact that he's been in the game like 30 years and he's just like still like one of the best, if not the best, is just an inspiration in itself. Yeah, man. You know? Like, again, like I like to study. So all my favorites, I like to study and see where they came from, see the mistakes they made. Maybe I could not make those mistakes, but also their triumphs and how they went about doing things. You know, and, and Donald Glover especially, like I said, was a big, you know, inspiration because he even said it out loud. He straight up said, he said, if you knew early in my career how much I spent making white people comfortable. That's what got me so far, honestly. He was like, making white people comfortable, making them like me, got me so far. And then I'm like, damn, yeah, that's, that's, it's so poignant, it's so true, you yeah. know, but he was able to do what he needed to do to get where he wanted to be. And now he makes Atlanta and now he can be unapologetically black. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? He played the game. He played the game. As long as he needed to, as to get where he, he right. and, and there's nothing, the fact that you have to play the game in the first place is a problem for sure. But if there's a game that needs to be played, there's nothing wrong with playing it if if you don't lose yourself in the process. Exactly. And I think that the problem is that, and this can go beyond race, this is what I'm about to say. The game is so rigged. You know what I'm saying? This can go beyond race. The game is so rigged that sometimes you feel like you have to sell your soul, and then that in itself makes you makes you feel disheartened. You know, it makes you feel disheartened. The one thing that I love in this about technology is the fact that now you don't necessarily need the gatekeepers. You know, mm. we can make a web series. You and me could can make a podcast. You know, we yeah, no, ain't nobody telling me we could shoot a this. movie. I could go to the studio right now, make a song, have it up on iTunes in less than forty eight hours. So we don't necessarily need the game. The game needs us, and we have to always remember that the game needs us because we're the talent. You know, Megan The Stallion. I'm not necessarily a huge like fan of hers, but she's going this thing right now with her record label you know where they were trying to stop her from releasing an album 
and saying that um, the deal you have is the deal you have. And she was like, no, I don't like this deal that I'm on. And they're like, well, you signed it. And she's like, I was 20 years old when I signed this deal. And it's a bad deal. You understand what I'm saying? But, but it's the power of the artist. Like, there is no record label without her. You have to understand that. There is no Seeker TV without all of us. Mm-hmm. Or Jarrell Media without all of us. You understand? Not just me. Everybody. The creatives. Like, we make this shit go round. We have to always remember that. So set your price. Never go beyond that price. That's something Dave Chappelle said. His father told him, you know, when he was 18 years old and about to go out to Hollywood to do stand-up comedy. His father said, set a price and don't go beyond that. Don't sell your soul. You don't have to sell your soul. Dave Chappelle walked away from $50 million from the Chappelle show. $50 million. I don't think I could walk away from $5 right now. I'm being <laughs> yeah. honest. Like, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 Dave yeah. Chappelle walked away from $50 million, mm-hmm. left it all behind. They said he'd never get back to the heights that he'd get back to. And then last year, he got $55 million to do his Netflix special. That's what having integrity and saying that I'm not willing to cross this line can get you if you're willing to put in. Because there's going to be some hard times. Because when you walk away from something, like blackballing is real. Hurting people's feelings is real. People not liking you anymore is real because they can't make money off of you. Yeah. You know, he took all that and still said, and I rise. So, like, these are lessons that we have to take and know how to play this game. Wow. When, when Dave Chappelle left, didn't he go to, like, Africa? Yeah, he went to Africa for a little while, like, to clear his head. You know, yeah. he went to Africa to clear his head, and then he came back, and he was doing uh, stand-up in his t- hometown, and then he started going back and doing stand-up. And he did stand-up for so many years, he actually had three specials already taped. So when Netflix came to him and said, we want to, you know, do these specials, he said, well, I got three in the can that nobody's ever seen. So I have leverage. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has leverage. You know, when I want to pitch to a network, I'm not going to pitch them me i'm gonna pitch them the show right you know that to me right now and where i'm at right now is my leverage you know i have a concept and i say that i have a proven track record of being able to take that product that 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 concept to fruition that's cool that's that's something i I haven't really thought of i love that thank you man you're actually sitting there learning from these guys these inspirations and doing it and that's really impressive not many people could say that yeah, and that's what I tell everybody. Like this, this, this right now that I'm giving everybody. This, this goes beyond black, white, whatever. This goes beyond race. Whoever you are inspired by, whoever, learn, research them, learn because there's something about them that you connect to. So you should know about them if they're a public figure, you yeah. know. Or even if it's your parents, whatever. Research your parents. Mm-hmm. Research your sister. Research your cousin. Research these people. Why do you connect to them? And then try to take it either to their level or go beyond. Great advice. Thank you. Have you have you always been a writer? Like yes, ever, I imagine you always. just as like a little three year old boy just. I'll tell you a story. Down. Yeah, I'll tell you. Tell story. me a story. Hilarious. Okay, I'll tell you a story. So <laughs> this is so funny. I don't think anybody <laughs> remembers this probably, but Shawnee knows this. Okay. All right. So when I was a young boy, you know, I, I always liked these girls or whatever. You know, you you like girls, and you know, I wanted to do something, and so what I would do was like uh, write these poems. You know what I'm saying? So, but okay, what I would do is because I thought. I thought my writing was whack. I'm like 10, 11. I'm like, this sucks. So this is what I would do. My father, old school, he had all these old records that we would listen to. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the Heartbeats and and the Jacksons, even going beyond the Jacksons, like the Eldorados and Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. Old Michael Jackson, Jackson 5. He had the very first Jackson 5 recording before they were on Motown. They were on Steel Town Records. And so he would just play those records and we would listen to them and sing along. So what I would do was is I would take the first part of an old record and write that down. And then the second part would be all me. 
So I would start off because I was like, okay, if I suck, at least they'll like the first part. So <laughs> it'd be like the first paragraph would be the song, and then I would just add on to it with my stuff. And then I'd give it to the girl, whatever. And the girl would be like, <laughs> she'd be like, yo, I love this. That was so sweet. Yeah, I like this. I really liked how you ended it. Or I really liked the second part. How you did this, you did that. I was like, oh, word? Okay. Whoa. Yeah, because that's really me. So then I just <laughs> did graduated. You tell that? No. Uh, <laughs> so then I just graduated to just doing my own thing and writing my own stuff. And you know, started with the poetry and then I would write short stories and I would write like little plays. And then me and my uh, brothers and sisters, we would uh, act out the plays for my parents and just like stuff like that. So like, yeah, writing was always in me. It's always something that I just like to do mm-hmm. always, you know, I could just sit down and write all day. Man, that's cool. So do you have like a favorite form of writing? Is it screenwriting now or is it poetry still? Like, it, Screenwriting is, it... is probably my favorite now. No, yeah. it is my favorite. You know, like I could still do a, a poem every now and then if I'm inspired or I could write a short story or, you know, any form of writing. But I, I like screenplays. I really like writing screenplays. It's, it's, it's just fun to be in your own world, you know, to just kind of like create within a world that, you know, is yours. You know, yeah. that's like the that's the biggest joy, hmm. you know. So like I'm I'm writing a screenplay, but I'm like in a world, you know. And sometimes it's a depressing world, sometimes it's a happy world, but it's mine, you know. So yeah, yeah I would definitely say screenwriting is my favorite by far. You are God, right? Exactly. World. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you little. No, I'm just playing. But like, <laughs> honestly, yeah, honestly, you can say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do, and I would still say like try to do it like somewhat responsibly, you know, like. Just don't write crazy stuff. Just write crazy stuff. But for me, it's all about message and meaning. You know, I'll, there's always going to be, if I do something, there's always going to be some type of message and meaning in it. Do you have a favorite thing that you've written? It, 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 every episode is like the favorite at the time. Yeah. But I would probably sure. say oh, over everything, two episodes I really, really, really like. Um, the, uh, the second season of Blue Collar Hustle, um, episode five, is called Justify My Thug. And um, it's about uh, the character that uh, Sosa plays, uh, Jose Torres. And it's basically about, like, uh, his past coming to catch up with him. Mm-hmm. And the reason I really like that episode is because I got to step outside my comfort zone. Again, like I said, I'm a middle-class black dude, you know, not from the hood, you know, or anything like that. Familiar with the hood because, you know, just are, but not of that hood. And I want to make that very clear. Um, but my friend Sosa, you know, he came from that kind of background. And so I wanted to tell what was essentially his story in an authentic way. So me and him were up to like three o'clock in the morning one day and I was just picking his brain and we were talking. He was telling me about his life and how he felt. And so when I wrote the script and I sent it to him, he was like, yo, in the way he talks, he's like, yo, slime, this is perfect. That's how he talks. Yo, slime, this is perfect. (laughs) Awesome. I was like, yes, I nailed it. You know what I'm saying? Because I stepped outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. You know, so that was that. And that's a favorite of mine. Then also episode six, of Black on Both Sides is a favorite of mine. It's the episode where uh, Henry Gill Scott Heron has the podcast. Check it out. I, I was hoping yeah. you say that. Look, yeah. look, look, right up here on top of my notes. Yes. My favorite episode. The Audacity of Hope. The Audacity yeah. of Hope. Yeah, so. That's awesome. I was like, uh, after you said that first one, I was like, man, if that second one is. No, it's definitely the Audacity of Hope. And I'm not hope. surprised because I could see so much love from yes. you in that, man. Yes. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk, but no. <laughs> yeah, no, thank um, you. Thank you very much. Man, tell me. Uh, so. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was my favorite episode. Thank and I, you. I was going to be bringing that up. Thank you very much. And that was that was what this segue was about because I was gonna no matter what you said I was. Gonna you were talk like, about the... we're gonna talk about this. Yeah. I'm glad, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page. I so, love, I do love that episode. Man, that's cool. My heart. That is an episode that encapsulates like my heart so much. So, yeah. Like, 
Tell me about it, because uh, I, I got I got some questions that I wrote down for Absolutely. it. Absolutely, but you might even answer them. But just okay. yeah, t- what what went into your mind, like when when writing it? Yep. And um, what changed while you were writing it, if yes. anything? And then what was it like to see it performed? Got you. So I'll tell you straight up, nothing really changed. I knew exactly what I was going to say. This is one of those episodes where you sit down and you're like, "This is why I'm a writer. This is why I'm a performer. This is why I'm doing this." Yeah. This is one of those episodes where I was like, "This is the entire reason why I do what I do." Mm. I wanted to address the 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 gap between black men and black women. I wanted to address the feelings of negativity that certain black men have towards certain black women and vice versa. I wanted to speak on that and I wanted to find a way towards healing. We, as black people, and I don't, again, black people are not a monolith and I don't want to come across as I'm preaching to anybody. However, this is my truth. And this is the truth that I feel like is true for so many black Americans. And I will say black people across the world. Because of slavery, um, because of Jim Crow, um, because of certain instances of white supremacy, w- black men and black women have been made to feel as if there's such a chasm between us that we're running a rat race, you know, to try to see who's going to be on top because neither one of us have ever been on top as far as the sexes are concerned. Um, and again, this is not to this is not to ostracize any, you know, any other creed or, or, or color or how, or how people, you know, identify themselves. So I'm just speaking in generalities. Certain black men feel that black women don't value them. And as black men, you know, as a black man, you know, there have been times when I felt not valued. There have been times when I felt like I was lesser. There are times when I felt that I was that I was not chosen, you know, and black women are the same way. You know, they've been times where they feel like they've been ostracized. They've not been chosen. They've not been loved. They've not been valued. And I just feel like we have to understand that. Only together is there ever going to be any progress. Black men are going to get nowhere without black women. Black women are going to get nowhere without black men. This is how I feel. We're not going to get anywhere without each other. So when I sat down to write the episode, I wanted to just really attack it and just let's put it all out there. So, you know, some of it is satire. You know, there was an article that was written a few years ago um, that really offended, honestly offended me. Uh, so I was like, let's just use this. Um, it was called, um, uh, I think it was called straight black men are the white men of the black community. And this was written a couple of years ago, uh, by a black man. And I understood what he was trying to say. I did not like how he was trying to say it again. When you generalize, we have a problem. So I took that title and I said, you know, the, the woman, the woman character who is Lilith Alexander, she had a book titled, you know, Black men are the white men of the black community with worse credit. And then the black man, he has a book, you know, kind of counter. It says sisters ain't soldiers, you know, um, get your money and stop chasing after, you know, black women, black man. And so, again, this really comes from two black people who are highly educated. You know, the black woman, both of them went to um, Ivy League schools. Black woman went to Harvard. Black man went to Yale. Yale. Yeah. Black man went to Yale. And. Again, Man, I know your own writing. Better than yeah, you. I know, I know, okay, right? No, okay. I know. I just and watched then, it last night. That's okay, why. got you. Yeah, and then when I look through statistics and things like that, you you will see that a lot of these things are true. That you know, um, black women graduate um, from higher education, you know, into higher education um, at a rate that's higher than black men. And so, what that does is again that creates a certain a, a certain chasm, because you know. As human beings, we don't want to. Nobody really wants to con- consider what we say dating down. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So settling, settling things of that nature, and then for black men, black men feel like, well, we've been through so 
much, you know, it's that much harder to get to where we need to get, you know? So they basically, they have it out. Mm-hmm. And Henry Gil Scott Heron acts as the, as the moderator, you know? And so they have it out. And at the very end, they come to the conclusion that their hurt, the source of their hurt, the source of their pain comes from the same thing. It's the same well that it comes from. So that's one of those episodes where I didn't want to say this is the answer. I wanted to point toward what could be an answer. You okay. know, so if you if you look, that episode doesn't end with a, a definitive statement of yeah, this is what black men and black women can do to come together. It's bigger than that. You know, there are so many different ways of doing it. But I feel like if we come from a perspective of understanding of one another, then that's when it will grow. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. And I, and I, 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 I saw that and I felt that when I was watching it. <laughs> Um, it, it w- the words and, and everything that was going on and and it seemed to me like it was um, and that that was kind of you you pretty much answered my question but w- that was what I was thinking is that that was I couldn't I, I couldn't tell like maybe if this was you just just writing this as kind of a commentary on what you're seeing in the world th- today and what people and and how um, men and women black women and men and women uh, feel towards each other mm-hmm. um, and and it seemed to me like it was uh, you were putting out thoughts. Yes, right? uh, these absolutely. are my thoughts. I think on both sides you could see like here are here's what they're both saying. Right, but it's also portrayed in this way that's showing that you know they're also being a little one. They're being kind of hard headed and a little right. one sided. Exactly. Yes, yeah. and it's like exactly. So, so the it, it meant a lot to me, um, just as as a human being and and also as a white male to to be able to understand. Because that's something I've never thought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, obviously, why would I? Right. You know? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm going to think about this today. I, right. I, exactly. You know, right. I, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. You know? No, I got you. Yeah. I got you. But but being able to watch that, I was like, oh, shit. Let me take a second and think about what I'm seeing right. and watching. And it really, yes. I was like, man, I, 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 she's making good points. He's making good points as well. But I can also see flaws in both of them. And that's right. why they're at, at, at odds with each other exactly and then yes. it was beautiful to see them at the end i can't remember the quote that they, they say like right to each I other i was right there with you yeah yes. i was right there with you i was right there with you yeah and that's what you're talking about that that yes. source that because well we're growing up in the same out. communities we're growing up in the same communities mm-hmm. we have the same goals mm-hmm. you know there should there shouldn't be this this huge chasm there mm-hmm. shouldn't be this huge chasm but there is and we have to address it so that was my i knew exactly I, when i when i said i'm gonna do black on both sides i knew that i was gonna do that episode I knew exactly what was going to happen. That was one of those things where it was just like, this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so so the whole seri- the whole season is just so that you can get that one episode out. <laughs> not, not, right, no, not I'm the not, whole season. <laughs> I'm not no, serious. No, not the whole season. That's funny. Not the whole season, but that was like that was like one of the things that when I wrote my outline, I was like, this is happening. Boom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So something that was said in, in that um, episode by um, by the 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 one who um, his name was Nigel Hawthorne. Nigel um, Hawthorne, yeah, yeah, played uh-huh. by Anthony Earl Jr. That's great right. job, yeah. That's right, great um, job, Anthony. There's something uh, he he did it. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, I was thinking he said it, but it was her saying it to him. He still did a great job. Don't yeah, get me he wrong. Did. He did, but it was what um, it was what uh, Lilith Alexander, Shell Purcell, is Shell that her Purcell. name? I love it. It rhymes. We worked at Best Buy together. Did you? Cool. At- Half of the cast of everything I do, like, let me tell you something. When you walk into Best Buy and you're asking for help with, like, your computer or your TV, you're, like, you're looking at a more talented individual than you think, trust me. Like, it's so full of talented people, it's ridiculous. My whole cast could be Best Buy, and that's why half of my cast is Best Buy. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the honestly, blue collar. The blue collar, right that's right, yeah. yeah. But Shell Purcell, shout out to her. Great. Well, so um, 
going back to to that, what I was um, saying about it is that she, her character talks about the the black man and how he. I, I'm gonna try to like say it as no, eloquently ahead. as I can. That's he fine. he says she she says that when it comes to the black man who grows up to become educated, goes to school, goes to right. college, gets that four year degree. Mm-hmm. He sees himself as successful when right. really she said Zeus king of the gods. Yeah, yeah you're, you're Zeus king of the gods. Yeah, you think yeah. you think that you are that yes. when really you're you're doing the the, the, the what's expected. Yeah, right, you're bare, doing what's expected. Exactly. Yeah, and yep. so you're not you're and and so I, that that made me just think mm-hmm. and 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 about it and how I I, I could I was kind of placing myself in in those shoes mm-hmm. of a black man who's growing up. Who's had all these trials and tribulations m- much more than your average white person mm-hmm. is, has gone through, and and many others as well. And so then, but given that they persevere and Correct. they overcome anyway, and they end up with that four year degree, I would understand why they would have that particular um, ego mindset. Mindset. M- mindset's better. Right. Thank you. I, I would. I didn't want to say ego, but I couldn't think. Mindset's right. better. Yep. That particular mindset because they. The, it's not just that. It's not. It, it you, you had to go through so much more you just do. to just to get something that's much easier for someone absolutely. else. Absolutely. So there's mm. an element of that, absolutely. But there's also an element for me. It was how do we find understanding? This is how we find understanding. And I'll, I'm going to use an example. Um, Will Smith, when he was coming up, Will Smith was uber successful rapper. Then he was uber successful TV actor. Then he was the biggest movie star on the planet. He's my second favorite movie. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, actor. Yeah, love Will Smith. And I should have named him as an inspiration as well just for being mm. one of the black men that lived in the movies when I was a kid. Um, so when Will Smith, this is uh, what he said, um, Pepper from Salt and Pepper. Um, this was, I believe, right before he got Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He was, Will Smith was trying to date, you know, Pepper. Mm-hmm. And he was, she said, he was super nice to me. He was, he was really cool, she said, but... He was he was too safe at the time. He was too corny. He was too nice. I thought I needed this, a thug or a manny man, macho man. Mm. And she said, that's one of my biggest regrets because look what Will Smith went on to become. Man. Yeah. Look at, you know? Yeah. So here's the thing. It's, it, and we're, when we're talking about humans here, we all have periods, myself, I'm sure, and a bunch of other people. We have periods in our lives when we're those awkward kids. And, you know, as that awkward kid, you may have a crush on the cheerleader, right? You're nobody. She's somebody. She's cute. She's the prom queen. She's this. She's that. You shoot your shot. You get shut down, right? You feel that pain. You feel that hurt. You carry that pain. You carry that hurt with you throughout your entire life. You use it as fuel. You may work out. You may make the football team. You may be the top of the hill, everything. And then when that girl comes around, you're like, fuck you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now what? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's an element of that in it. The issue is in the in the in the black community as black people and again we're speaking of certain not all, but in the black community that that gets that's twofold, you know, because we feel like we have like parents or whatever entity, you know, kept us away from what you would consider stereotypical, you know, kept you away from gangs, kept you away from drugs, kept you away from, you know, what is stereotypically portrayed to be um, black masculinity, mm-hmm. you know, keep you away from that. You're on a straight and narrow, and you feel like the girls in your community want that and don't want you. You carry that hurt, that anger, and then when you get to the top of the hill, it's a screw you. You know what I'm saying? But it's a screw you, all of you, all of you black women, you know, mm-hmm. and screw you, all of you black men. No. And so for me, 
again, this is my father. My father taught me, like, number one, you can't own another human being. And number two, not everybody's going to like you, you know? So I was able to deal with rejections, romantic rejections and things like that as a, as a young man with, okay, next step, next, next, next up, next mm-hmm. up at bat. You yeah. know, put thank you. Next, in the next. words of Ariana exactly. Grande, <laughs> not you know, there may you as the prom queen may not like me, you know, but maybe the runner-up likes me, you know, yeah, or maybe I shouldn't be looking at the prom queen. Maybe I should be looking at somebody more aligned with what I like. Maybe I should be looking at the girl in the library. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should be looking at the girl in the church. Maybe I should be looking at the girl that's next door to me. You know, like chicken drama club. Exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, like, let's stop putting what we consider the best to be on a pedestal and let's get back to us. You know what we like. So there's an element of that to me in it. Man, that's absolutely right. Because, (laughs) man, that's so right. And that's something I've been thinking about a a lot lately um, as I've gotten older in my life and trying to become more mature with in, mm-hmm. in, in my feelings and my understandings of myself and, yep. and the world around me. And when it comes to rejection and, and right. relationships and, right. and when they don't work out, right. it's okay. It's okay. Yes. And it's also okay to be hurt. Yes. It's also, it's yes. totally okay to feel. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. But, it's, but ultimately it's, you have to think right. like that because that's the truth. It's, yes. they don't like me or it didn't work out with them. Right. Doesn't mean that it won't work out with someone else. Exactly. And I have to be open to that. And exactly. it might take me five people to date and, and go right. through, uh, you know, uh, ha- uh, one week to five months or however right. long a relationship with to finally meet that person. Right. And that doesn't mean that those were bad people right. or that they were wrong. Right. Um, they were just wrong for me exactly. at that time. Or exactly. maybe I was wrong for them. Exactly. There's been a couple chicks in my life, man, a couple girls where they were right for me. They were, the, they were, I thought they were right for me. And then for whatever reason, it didn't, it didn't end up mm-hmm. that way. Right. And both times was not on my accord, you right. know? And, <laughs> right. and, and so it took me until recently to realize, okay, I must, I must not have been what was right for them. That right. doesn't mean that I'm any less than who I am right exactly. now. Exactly. Right. And even though I thought that they were right for me, it also has to go both ways. You have to be right for them too. Right. Exactly. And so it, it made me, it, it also made me a little tougher, not in a bad way. I mean, tougher as far mm-hmm. as like when I do speak to someone, mm-hmm. if I do date someone, they mm-hmm. get who I really am. Exactly. You know, right. they get the real me. Right. And I'm unapologetic about that. It yes. doesn't mean I'm crazy. I mean, no. if, the, if the real me is crazy, then I guess, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. but it just, right. it, like I'm a goofy guy. Yep. I, 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 I'm, I like to be kind of awkward. Like uh-huh. I, I embrace it. Yeah. And you embrace who you are. Yeah. And so, it, and it's tough when you go out on like a date or you're with someone in that situation, you meet someone all yep. of a sudden you're, it's like, there's that tendency to try and be a little more smooth, a little more right. cool. We want to, we want we want to impress. Yes. We want to impress. We want to be better than the next guy. Yeah. That right. need to impress. And, and I'm not going to lie. That's still there to a certain extent. Absolutely. But when I feel my personality want to come out yeah. it comes out man i allow it to. don't suppress it yeah exactly yeah. don't suppress it because it, it, exactly. because okay so then that person ends up liking you finds out later that that's really who you are and yeah right and also <laughs> by trying to suppress your personality um you end up coming it, it's 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 subconsciously there right it's, maybe, it's either in your body language or yes it might even be in the pheromones you're releasing well, exactly. you know exactly it's, it's yes. something about it you can just tell and it, and and it's different if you can tell that someone's awkward, you know, right. or they're 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 nervous. That's di- that's different. But when they're legitimately trying to suppress who they are, mm-hmm. they um I, that's the, do you know the world of Harry Potter at all? 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like uh, um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. There's something called an obscurial. Okay. It's where it's where if a if a magical person is is like told to not use magic and they and they don't use magic they eventually become this thing that's an obscurial and it's basically just this dark energy and i could be butchering exactly the description of this because i spent a while since i saw that movie it wasn't very good but um <laughs> yeah i'm more of the, i'm more of the harry potter main universe yes i me love too. the main universe yeah, yeah same same um yeah i'm actually i'm reading the third book it's right over there my oh, prisoner of basketball yeah, yeah yeah it's my favorite yeah, I love Prisoner of Azkaban. I, I'm gonna tell you something, man. I really love Goblet of Fire, though. Really, I really love Goblet. The first of Fire. person to say that to me. I know. I'm gonna keep. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I just really love Goblet of Fire. I think it's so. I feel like it's so epic. You know what I'm saying? It is like epic. the Tri Wizard Tournament. It's when shit gets real. It's when shit gets real. Yeah. yeah. And then like the first like burgeoning feelings between like Ron and Hermione, who yeah. were like I was shipping like when I was like 11. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Me so too. like the first burgeoning films before them, and then like like you said, like Mad Eye Moody, the twist with Mad Eye Moody, mm-hmm. and then Dumbledore, and then and then actual death. Mm-hmm. You understand? With what I'm saying? Cedric Diggory. Yeah, Cedric Diggory, actual death, and then like Harry's feelings for Cho Chang, and you know what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah. It's so. That I, was in that book. Yeah, that is. That book is so epic to me, man. Mm. I just, I don't know. Like, that's, yeah, that I'm going to say that's my favorite. I love man. that book. I love that, Prisoner of Azkaban, too, though. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I, I just love, it introduces Sirius Black. He's my favorite character. It does, character. yeah, absolutely. The Time yeah. Turners. Yes. Uh, gotta love the Time it's Turners. A, it, gotta love a plot device, but still. Yeah, <laughs> right. It is, but as an 11-year-old, that junk was so hard. It was so That cool. was so hard. The yeah. Time Turners, and then seeing how Hermione was really doing everything, yeah. Yeah, I love yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just I love Harry Potter, man. It's cool. It's refreshing to hear you say that about the fourth book. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the only issue that I have with that book is that is the one um, event that they had to do where they um, where they had to uh, they had who they loved or whatever underneath the water. Yeah, when they had to go save. Yeah, yeah, like yo, wizards die in this tournament, right? Yeah. And and like it's known that that has happened, right? You'd think that they would try to be a little more cautious about it, right? That's true, and and it's fine. Like they had the dragons in the first one; they had yep. them like chained up by their by their necks, and of course yep. it breaks out, and he's got to right. fly on. Never mind that; that's fine. That they, they at least tried to be safe about it, right? But in this one, they're literally at the bottom of the lake right. that they have to go, and <laughs> right. like. That you can't see them. Right. Just, they they dive into the lake and then right. they're gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's like, well, it's been it's 45 been, minutes. Right, it's exactly. probably Are they dead. All dead yet? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always thought of it. You're right. I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it like Dumbledore was really not gonna let things happen to these kids you yeah know what I'm saying? that's like, what i thought when i was yeah, reading it for right, sure. like like the pr disaster that, that would be on hogwarts <laughs> grounds like i think dumbledore would be like and, and maybe professor mcgonagall too would just be like uh mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like yeah. we're gonna have some type of plan or something like this you know? yeah i i like to think that too and, and it's evident in in the third book when um harry falls mm-hmm. when he when he sees the the grim uh, which right. is really serious, right. and the, and I think the Dementors show up or yes. something, yes. and so he like he passes out and he starts falling, and it's right. revealed later that Dumbledore was like out there, and it's really right. cool, it's really well, like I love the way they did it in the movie, yes, because you see Dumbledore like like trudging across the ground, right. like the, the actual yes. like fl- uh, surface level, yes, and and he like does something, and Harry like slows down, right, yeah, right. that was that's yeah. cool. I imagine he would have done something similar to that, exactly, right. You know? He would have, yeah. I just, yeah, I love Harry Potter, man. I could talk about Harry yeah, Potter. All day. I know, yeah. Dude. We, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I was I was a kid in middle school, man, seventh eighth grade, and um, 
I would just read anything and everything because, you know, my father put that in me. And I just love reading. And I love science fiction fantasy. Loved it so much. And I'll, I'll never forget the librarian. She took a liking to me because, you know, I was always in the library. And she was like, I got something I think you might like. And she gave me, you know, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And I took it home and read it in a day. In a day? And I, and I came back and I was like, I want more. <laughs> and Chamber of Secrets had just come out. And nice. it had she hadn't unboxed it yet. So she took me to the back and went through all these boxes, unboxed it, and gave me Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, wow. so Yeah, so I'll never forget that, man. I, I love just J.K. Rowling, in the again, world building. World building and yes. being in her own world and the way she did it, like you could feel. I felt like even though the series got more, you know, mature and darker as it went along, yeah, right. I could feel the joy. I felt like the joy was coming from like every book, mm-hmm. every page, every sentence. Like she loved that world, yes. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> Another one of your hidden influences and one, yes, that hidden, we were yes. able to draw out. Right, exactly. I'm glad. I'm see. That's why I'm here. I'm yeah, here. I'm here so we can talk about all the influences. See, dope, man. That's <laughs> that's cool. Um, all right, all right. So we were talking earlier, and I definitely want to make sure we get this out. Uh-huh. You uh, you served in, the, in in the army. I did. Um, but you. I want to get to your funny stories you were telling me about. You, sure, you tell me yeah. you have some funny stories, but first, I, do have some funny I actually have a serious question for you. Uh huh. Sure. When you when people find that out find that out about you, it's mm-hmm. like their go to to say thank you for your service, right? Right. Does that absolutely. happen? Um, yeah, it happens a lot. I don't want to do that. No, like thank you, definitely thank you for your service. Yeah, I get don't. It. I don't mean. I don't mean. I don't want to do it for a bad reason. I mean, you don't want it to be a cliche. Yes, thank yes. you. I don't. Um, um, although that rings true as my sentiment towards you, mm-hmm. my father um, served in Vietnam. My granddad right. was in the Coast yes, Guard, so absolutely. it's it's in my family as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a better way? To say that, you know, if, if someone, if I meet someone tomorrow mm-hmm. who says like, yeah, I, I was, I'm a veteran or I was in the military, I was a Marine, instead of saying, thank you for your service, is there something that I could say that would mean just as well? I mean, you could, you, you could always just say, I appreciate what you did, you know, okay. or you could always say, look, I, I appreciate it, you know, you know, like we get it, you know, and I really appreciate it too. I don't, I, I don't feel any type of way when somebody says, mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's a cliche or anything like that. I really honestly feel like that's probably one of the last genuine things that like a stranger can say to you sure you know that's one of the last things that i feel like are really genuine from the heart when somebody says thank you for your service yeah you know so i don't have any problem with it but i do understand that like you don't want it to be like a a cliche so i would just say like you know appreciate it or appreciate you know what you do we're gonna get it regardless you know i didn't and i'm gonna tell you this is about 90 percent of the people that i know in the service we didn't join the army to get thanks. We didn't join the army to get discounts. We didn't join the army for anything like that. You know, a lot of us joined the army for different reasons. When it was in the recession, it was because I was like, I know this is like going to be like employment. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. of course I wanted to serve my country and things like that. But my main thought was actually like, this is like employment. So got to get it. How we yeah. Gotta get and, it. They, and I wanted to live, kind of, kind of live up to my family. You know, like I said, like most of the, right. You had family, to fill in that last one. I had one, to fill right? in that last one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, but yeah, we, no, nobody, honestly, I can really say this is one of the generalizations I'll make. Like, I don't think anybody joins it just so that they'll get thanked or so they can feel like a big man, you know? So mm-hmm. we genuinely appreciate that. We really do. I feel like the people who, who would, who would join it for, for that sort of reason, just don't and pretend like they did. I've heard stories about yeah. that, of people yeah. faking it and, yeah. and like yeah. reading books and, and trying to come up with stories. Well, we don't have to go too far into that just because yeah. it's sad. It's sad. The, it's sad yeah. that, that it's, that's out there. It's really sad. Like that yeah. people want that kind of validation. Mm-hmm. It's like, honestly, man, you could, all the time you spent faking it, you could have made it. Yeah. You feel me? On maybe not on the service, but you could have done something else. To, right. You know, to get some type of validation, mm-hmm. you know. So just yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't don't do that. Yeah, that cool. I, yeah. 
So, um, so story time with Alange. What do you, yeah, man. What do you want to share with me and, and the rest of the world? Okay, so this is a, okay. So, okay, this is funny to me. It may not be funny to everybody. Okay, I'm gonna try to paint the picture. It's funny <laughs> to me just because of the situation, right? So, my boy Calhoun. <laughs> Shout out to Calhoun. Calhoun is one of the funniest dudes. Actually, I got two stories involving Calhoun. He's one of the funniest dudes that I know in life. Period. Me and him are like brothers. We still talk to this day. He lives in Florida with his wife and his child. Shout outs to Calhoun and his wife. Um, hey guys. <laughs> yes, but we were um, stationed in Fort Stewart together, and then we deployed together. So when you're in Afghanistan, you get. We were and my uh, my my MOS was 92 Golf uh, Cook. You know, full M- service. MOS. Yeah, MOS. Yeah. Well, is yeah. that a my um, job? Yeah, my job in the army. So does, you're does in MOS the army, stand but you have for a something? Job. Yeah, it yeah it does. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know right now. Yeah, I, I don't remember I've heard right that now. The the army, mm-hmm. it, I think, uh, just the military in general is full of anagrams. That, that yeah, it is. Stuff. Yeah, it is. So your MOS, like you have like ninety two golf, which is like you know what I did, which was food service, which is a fancy way of saying cook. So you're okay. still a, you're still a soldier. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But you have a an actual job. Yes. So we were split off into it's called um, uh, fobs. So you have a a main fob. Right, and then you have a different fob. So we were split off into one of the smaller fobs. It was called Puleyam. Puleyam. So me and Cajon were in uh, Puleyam, and um, <laughs> the first story involves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you have the um, you work side by side with the um, Afghani locals, right? Um, and a lot of them are, are really good people, right? And um, so you had a shop owner, and the shop owner he would he sold uh, he sold a, he would sell you like DVDs. Um, he would give us haircuts, um, but he was always he would always like the prices were higher, and you know the prices were higher. But like he was the only person you could go to to get stuff, yeah. Unless you wanted to order something and wait like three to six weeks. So if you wanted something, you went to him, and he knew what to charge you. He knew what you wanted. So he had an apprentice, and uh, the apprentice was like this little guy, like maybe like eighteen, nineteen, and so <laughs> it's a hundred and ten degrees. Man, um, we're yes, we're in what we call full battle rattle, which is our full cavalry uniform. And the reason you're in full battle rattle during this time is because um, it was, I think this was around May. From May to July, I'm trying to remember this properly, um, you know, you have uh, Ramadan time. And that was actually an elevated time to get for attacks. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, in your full battle rattle. Mm-hmm. In case you just got so something pop off, you got to be ready. Yeah. So there's a hill. There's a big freezer on the hill. That's where we go get the food. So we go get the food out the freezer and prepare it for, you know, the meal time. So we're on stretchers, 110 degrees, full battle rattle, which probably adds like another 15 degrees, sweating, it's hot, and we're carrying stuff up and down this hill in the stretchers. We took a breather. We were like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> and <laughs> so this kid, he just chose the wrong moment to come in. And ask for stuff. So he comes in. He's like, um, he goes like this, and I'm like, what oh, do he's, you want? he's pointing his he's finger at his mouth. Like this, yeah. He's yeah. going like this. He's like, Pepsi. I want a Pepsi. And Cone was like, Cone was like, get out of my face. And then the guy's like, the kid says, Are you serious? <laughs> And Calhoun says, yeah, I'm serious. And, and I don't want to curse too much, but he's like, yeah, I'm serious. Get the hell out of here. And the next time you come up in here, you better be bearing gifts. I'm from the hood. I don't give a fuck. And I just, I bust out laughing so hard. I laughed so hard. I laughed so because so, the look on this kid's face, he's like, he, he runs out. And then we're just sitting there. And then we just look at each other and we just bust out laughing. Because we're like, he came, at the, he came at the wrong moment. That kid came at the wrong moment. We were For tired real. to sweat and 
we're just like, we just need to take a breather. And this kid comes in asking for Pepsi. And we're just like, you know, tempers are already elevated because you could get attacked at any time. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So it's funny. Man, I can yeah. only imagine that kid. I, 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 yeah. That, that was funny, man. <laughs> Poor kid. We made it up to him later on, though. I think Calhoun gave him something. Sure, we, yeah. He yeah. made it up, but it was just, that's too, it was just so funny. He said, I'm from the hood. I don't give a fuck. He just did it so funny. He sounded like Chris Tucker. <laughs> that's that what moment. I was thinking. He I was going to say, like, it sounds he, just he, like Chris Tucker. He just, he, just, he just said the first thing that came into his mind. He was like, I don't want to hear this. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so, second story. This actually involves now. This one, it was funny in hindsight. It wasn't funny in the, in the moment, uh, but okay. it's funny. Yeah. So, Calhoun... Uh, he he had been deployed before, so it was his second time in Afghanistan. He had already been in Afghanistan and did a you know a full time. It was my first time, so I'm green to everything. Mm-hmm. So we lived in like little shoots. So the shoot is like maybe half this room that we're in right now. So imagine that's my bed. Calhoun's in the other shoot, you know, beside me. But it's you know it's covered by wood. It's separated so, by wood. Like it's like five feet by like exactly. ten feet. Yep, no? exactly. Yeah, exactly. If we were if we were to cut this part of it, this is what it is. Yeah. It's cool, not the best, not the worst. Um, so I'm in there, and it's maybe my the end of my first week in Afghanistan. Period. So you're told that if any attack happens, you hear gunfire, or anything, you put your your cavalry on, you get your gun, you go out, and it's called scanning your lanes, meaning you have a specific area that you know is yours to guard. Mm-hmm. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm dead asleep, and all of a sudden, all I hear, I hear this happens simultaneously. I hear gunfire, right? And somebody has a hold of me, right? And so I'm like, oh, hell no. Yeah. So I'm thinking, this is life or death. It's uh, it's going down. So I jump up, right? And all I start doing is punching. I'm screaming, like, who the hell is what? The, oh, oh, boom, boom, kicking. It was another dude. Uh, his name was Dietz. It was another, like, sm- smaller source. His name was Dietz. Dietz was trying to wake me up. And get me ready, and I, it's pitch black. Oh. And I'm screaming. He's like, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" I'm like, "I'm like, Dietz. He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "What are you doing here?" He says, "He says, we're under attack. Run!" And he runs out of the thing because it was his first week too. And I'm like, "What the hell?" And in the next room, I hear Calhoun laughing his ass off. Calhoun is laughing so hard. He's like, "You got him, Hoss. You got him. Did you get the terrorist, Hoss? You're you're a hero now, Hoss." I'm like, "Oh my God!" He's laughing. He's like, "He's like, this is. He's like, this is nothing." He said, this is nothing. He's like, yes, there was gunfire. Yes, we're on the talk. He's like, but they didn't breach the perimeter. They didn't get close. He was like, I, he's like, trust me, I know. Yeah. You know? So he's, he's just laughing his ass off. And he's just like, and at the time it wasn't funny. Because right. I'm, I'm, I'm hype and stuff. And I'm like, what in the world? So he's just <laughs> laughing so hard. I'm just like, he, he, he laughed at me for maybe a whole month over that. Like, he would just, he would knock on the door. He's like, hey, can I come in? Can I come in? Are you, you going to pop off? I'm like, oh, my God. I'm so, yeah, Calhoun, man. Shout out to Calhoun, man. That's, the, that's, my, that's my homie, man. He, he was one of the first supporters when I was doing Blue Collar Hustle. I sent him uh, the first episode, I think, before anybody got a chance to see it. I sent it to him so he could look at it. Yeah, but, yeah, Calhoun, man, that, that boy. Whoo, Calhoun. <laughs> Dang, man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. Just, so, some of the relationships that you will will make are going to last you forever. You know, like some right. of those people I still consider like great friends, you know. So I've heard that like when you're out there fighting and this is j- again, just what I've heard. I, uh-huh. I can't relate, but I've heard that you're 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 not you're not even fighting for your country or an ideal. Some people might be and, and for sure, but you're fighting for the man you're or fighting, woman right next to you. You're fighting for the person next to you. Absolutely. Yeah. You're fighting like it was Calhoun and me. Like that was my brother. You know what I'm saying? Like. Nothing's gonna happen to you. 
and then he's gonna make sure nothing happens to me. And then there were other people out there. There was Sergeant Moody, shout outs to Moody. Um, there were so many people, uh, um, Sergeant Mack, Sergeant McAdoo, shout outs to Sergeant Mack. Um, there were so many people, shout outs to my boy Newland. <laughs> I could do this all day. There were so many yeah, people sure. out there that like back home are like your family. So when you get out there, it's like, yo, we're gonna come home together. You know, and you'll go, you'll go through hell or high water to make sure that that person come home with you, you know, because I can't, it's like losing a part of you if you lose that person. Like, I wouldn't be the person I am today if Calhoun, God forbid, something had happened to him, you know, because he was like my brother, you know, I saw him every single day for eight months. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, he helped me in so many ways that he doesn't even know, just right. keeping my spirits up, always just being a source of, of humor, you know what I'm saying, always being there to have my back. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, like I, I'm so thankful to him and to everybody. I'm so thankful to them that they'll never know. You know, but yeah, it's really about the person beside you. So the only question I'll ask in this regard is: Did you ever see combat? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Not. Um, and again, you don't want to. It, it, it. Sometimes it's hard to talk about because there are so many people that saw so much more than I did. Sure, sure. And yeah. so much, so many more things happened. So I, I'm, I'm not, I don't, it's hard to talk about, um, but cause out of respect for what happened to some people. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? But a little bit, I'll say that. And we'll okay. That. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so obviously Calhoun and you had a great time. We did. You, and you did, you were in eight months in Afghanistan with yes. him. And then, um, I know Fort Stewart and then, uh, Korea for a year. Yeah. That was my so. very first duty station in Korea. So what was that like? Any, any funny stories there? Any Cor stories in general? Well, Korea was, Korea was fun. Um, I don't have too many stories about Korea because I, I went out, but I didn't go out a lot because a lot of soldiers were going out and getting in trouble. Um, I could tell so many stories about others, but I'm not, I'm not going to put people on blast. Um, yeah. I'm not going to put people <laughs> sure, on blast. Sure, sure. I'm not going to put people on blast. But, <laughs> but we had fun. It was To me, it was fun being amongst another culture that I had never been. And also, mm. I'd never been outside my country. I'd never been outside America. So mm. going to Korea and, and being around that culture and learning about that culture and, and just talking to the people and getting to know them, it was really great. You know, it was really good. And, and you know, we actually go. So you spend 30 days up near the North Korean border training. So you actually could see the border that separates North and South Korea. No the way. border that separates North and South Korea is literally nothing. It's just it's, land? It's just land. There is no wall. It's just land. You is there can, like a sign at least? You can, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because yeah, if you step over that border, it, you're declaring war, pretty much. Wow. The war never ended. It was just on a ceasefire. The war never ended in Korea. It's just been on a ceasefire. And for is it still that way? 50 years, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So the funny, I, need to I can tell you a funny then. story. I can tell you a funny story, right. it, which again wasn't funny in context. But my first, again, it's, it's always my first week. It was like maybe my <laughs> third day in Korea, and it was the very first time in in years that n the North Korea had did any type of attack on South Korea. But they attacked the South Korean um, uh, Navy, and a couple of you know South Koreans uh, ended up losing their lives. And so, you know, the sergeant were telling us, this has never happened, and we didn't know this was going to happen, and we're going to draw weapons, and we might be going to war. And I'm like, what? Going to war? I'm not here for three days. I'm scared to death. I ain't trying to go to war. War? War? What are you talking about war? And so, like, we were so freaked out. We were so freaked out. Like, we were like, we are not ready to go to war. 
like we're looking at each other like no absolutely not and so um yeah so send me yeah home. yeah send me home so like it, it died down a little bit and so we were able to kind of like use it for humor but like i just remember that very first panic when they say like okay we, we might be drawing we might be going to war and you're like because you always hear that korea is like the place to go to to have fun yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's so much fun down there and you go down there and you can do this and you can do that and you can drink all night and do all this. So you hear about all the fun you're going to have as a soldier and then you get down there and you're like, oh, this is real. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it's yeah. fun. I can laugh about like, you know, recollecting it, but like, oh my God, at the moment I was just like, damn. Yeah. I was just like, wow, I might have to call my parents and tell them stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Because I was telling them, oh yeah, I'll be fine. I'm going to go. My mom, my baby, don't leave. I'm like, mom, it's Korea. Nothing happens in Korea. And then third three day, days in. three days in, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, so that's a, that's kind of a funny story. But um, just for the learning aspect, I loved it just for the learning aspect and and, and the fir- my first time being away from home and truly being alone as a man and saying, you know, I have to take care of myself. Yeah. You know, so like that, it taught me a lot. Man, that's cool. Yeah, I can see. I I, I can see all of it. It sounds like your parents raised you the correct way. Yes, they raised you to be uh, disciplined yes. and, and to love arts and yes. and, and to be um, to care about school and to yes. be um, intellectual. And, yes, and then you join the army and it instills even further discipline. You learn more about yourself and how to be your own man. Absolutely. And then you go on to do all of these uh, amazing shows. Thank You've you. got so much more to come in the future. Thank you. Thank that's, you. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you very much. So. We we can we can wrap it up here soon, but sure. I know that one thing that you definitely wanted to, you you asked to talk about mm-hmm. is the need for more diversity in yes. film and and TV. Yes. I know we we've touched on it here and there throughout this. Do you feel like you said your piece on that, or we can like, we can keep going if if there's something specific that's been laying on your heart that you wanted to talk about? Well, honestly, I just think that you can you can just look at. I mean, we can just say Hollywood, if we want to use Hollywood as a monolith for, for mainstream storytelling, you could just look at Hollywood and you can just see the the effect that diversification and, and that representation has. You know, when I saw the trailer for Black Panther, I cried. Really? I cried. You want to understand? Because what you have to understand is I grew up with my father. I loved comics. My father sought out black comics for me to have representation. Man, black that's Panther. cool. Black Panther was one of them. And so I, I would that. go to school and people didn't know who Black Panther was. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? People sure. didn't know who Black Panther was. And so I was like, Black Panther. And they're like, who the hell is Black Panther? <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah. to see that and just to see that on screen and then the way Ryan Coogler did it, you know, that's another inspiration. The way he did it was just so great. And and you could just tell, again, he, he had something to say. He told an entertaining story and it's still... It still fit into the Marvel canon. It was great for that, but he had something a little bit deeper to say, and I really respect him for that, and I respect Marvel for letting him do his thing. Yes. You know, but, so just things like, and also when I saw, like, Inception is one of my favorite movies of all time. Hmm. I watch that movie at least twice a year. I love (laughs) that movie. I think Christopher Nolan is a genius. If he never did anything but Inception, he would go down as a genius to me for for writing and making that movie. And just to see his next movie is going to have John David Washington in it. Yes. You know, Tenet. Uh, Tenet, yeah. Yeah, just to see that, again, you look at that and you're just like, wow. You know, like, it's just a, a level of representation that when I was young, I wasn't used to. You know, I was used to Indiana Jones and Luke Skywalker, Batman, Superman, anybody, you know, and maybe like one or two black people. Like, we grew up watching The Last Dragon over yeah, and Lando, over and over. You know? Yeah, Lando, right. And we grew up watching The Last Dragon over and over and over because he was a black hero. You know what I'm saying? At the end, he got to be heroic. So just again, and then Will Smith, Men in Black, Independence Day, yeah. we we watched that over and over and over because it was representation for us. Mm-hmm. So just seeing that 
it just inspires. It's so inspiring. So when I say that there's a need for more representation in Hollywood or just in mainstream media, it's because of things like that. You know, the next young black boy, the next young black girl can see themselves in it, you know, and the next um, they're doing the Eternals next. You yes. know, and they're yes. going to have their first, they're going to have their first, you know, gay character. Yeah. You know, again, representation. So somebody can see that and say, it's okay for me to be me. You know, I, as a black man, I'm a straight black man. You know, I don't know everything about the discrimination and trials and tribulations that somebody of, you know, that community, homosexual community is going to go through, you know, but I know a little bit about not growing up, not always being able to see me. Mm. So now we live in a world where you, you get more and more of that and it's just inspiring for everybody. Let's uplift everybody, you know? So that's kind of my, kind of like my piece on that in a way is like, let's keep going. Let's not slide backwards. Like, yeah. Let's keep going forward. That's no, progression. Definitely me. don't hinder it. And, and, and you're right. <clears throat> there is, there is starting to be more representation for all, all, all walks of life. Absolutely. LGBTQ plus, yep. uh, people. And then, and, and um, People of color, and right. then, and I think even the Asian community. Absolutely, certainly. yeah. Um, with, um, um, when it was crazy rich Asians, I remember a lot. Yeah. Of, a lot of people in the Asian community were very, very happy with that kind of, you know, representation. Mm -hmm. Again, even uh, Fresh Off the Boat was a really good show. I really liked, um, you know, representation. You know, mm -hmm. we need more, not less. You know, and I know um, they're doing Iron. No, let me not lie. They're doing. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Marvel's doing um, the Asian superhero. Uh, his name Shang Chi. Oh, Shang, -Chi. Shang Chi. Yes. Yeah, they're doing yeah. Shang Chi next, and I'm like, great. Let's keep mm -hmm. going. Let's yeah. keep going. Let's get everybody involved. You know, and so yeah, like for me, it's it's important, and I just want to see it keep going. I want to see it to keep flourishing. Absolutely, and then and hopefully, more than likely, absolutely, one day you're gonna be up there with him, up with Ryan Coogler, absolutely. And Jordan Peele, and that's, and that's the goal. That's I'm where like I'm, so. that's where I want to be. That's yep. where I want to be. So that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna keep till the wheels fall off, man. That's where I'm gonna go. So, absolutely. I love it, man. Thank Thanks you. for thank, I, honestly like no, this. This was really eye opening for me. It really was, and thank I appreciate you. it. Um, uh, me being a white male, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I honestly don't think about it that much. And this gave me the opportunity to think about it, mm -hmm. and it's something that I'm going to carry with me moving forward. And absolutely. I look forward to when uh, another white person t talks to me about um, diversity or something like that. I, and I'll, I feel like I'll have. Um, I'll, I'll have the right things to say, things that like now that I, I've been able to think about it and I, I, I'm going to be able to digest this for the next week. And I feel like I, I now have a better understanding and I can speak on it more. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I've been, I've been needing in my life and wanting. And so Absolutely. thank you for coming and providing that for me. Thank you for providing the platform. Yeah, of course. Of course. That, that's, that's what I'm here for is for people like you to come on and show that, you um how how interesting you are how unique you. you are and and to be able to speak on something that anything and everything that's important to you so thank you for coming on and doing that and doing that um that's a that's a very vulnerable thing to do thank you and Absolutely. it's very scary doing this podcast vulnerable thing people are listening to it they could come back and say this or that but you got to believe in yourself and you got to believe in the things that you stand for thank and you. you definitely do that and i appreciate that thank you absolutely so i'm going to leave us with um the uh Towards the end of that episode, my favorite episode of yours, The Audacity of Hope from uh, Black on Both Sides, season one. Um, at the end, you had, um, was that was that Les Brown who was speaking? Who Martin was Luther King. That was Martin Luther King? Yep, oh, Martin okay. Luther King. See, there, then, that in and of itself, I didn't even recognize his voice. That's my fault. <laughs> and I need to listen to more of him and I need to, to learn more. So I will move forward doing that. 
the thing that he was talking about, the thing that he was talking about was the dynamic between uh, power and love. Correct. And I, I just love that you added that in at the end of that episode. And Thank it, you. And it talked to, um, he says that power without love is reckless and abusive. Right. Love without power is sentimental and anemic. anemic. And so it's all about that um, dynamic between those two and how you can't have one without the other. Correct. They are really um, complementary to each other. Exactly. And so I, I just love that. It really put a nice button on to the end of that episode. Thank you. And that's when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this dude knows what he's doing. And I trust that this is going to end well. And I was looking, I couldn't wait to see myself in the final episode. <laughs> and that, and that, yeah, man. And uh, that, that was really cool. That was pretty intense. That, ep- that episode was really intense. I'm, but you did a great job. You really did a great job. And shout out to Scott, man. Scott always... When Scott said he got somebody, Scott got somebody. So yeah. I, so yeah. I, I trusted him. I knew you were going to you know, yeah. knock it out the park because I trusted him from the beginning. Yeah. You know, that, shout out to Scott. Yeah, I've worked with Scott on nine different projects. So wow. Definitely okay. knows. He knows. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. He knows yeah. that he can trust me gotcha. for sure. Yeah. Shout, man, shout out to Scott. Scott goes hard. When he I say does. Scott goes hard, I don't know how he sleeps, man. And he's like a wonderful husband and father. I know. And Where does he, he find the time? I don't know. I, but he, he goes so hard. The man genuinely loves everything that he's doing. Yes, he, exactly. I, you want to live like Scott. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, huge inspiration. I, I've never seen Scott frown unless he's in character. You understand what I'm yeah. saying? Like that is a blessed now life. I think about it. Yeah. The only time he's frowning is when he's like thinking. Thinking, about right? When yeah. He's thinking or when he's in character. Other than that, <laughs> he's always got a big smile on his face, man. So shout out to Scott, man. He's Very, just a, yeah. a joy to work with. Like just a joy to work with. Mm-hmm. And I, I would put him in anything that I do. Like it, he's gonna be in it somehow. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I want to make sure that you know I portray African Americans in a certain way. But like we putting Scott in something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because he he <laughs> knocks out the park. And he's gonna time. show up and he's gonna be prepared. He's gonna be prepared. And he's, he's gonna, gonna give you his all. He's gonna give you his all. Yep, from I say action until I say cut. So shout out to Scott. Yeah, definitely shout out to Scott. I'm I'm sure he can't wait to listen to this episode. Right. You got now you got to go listen to his episode. Exactly. Because right. I'm, on I'm a gonna listen. Oh, I'm gonna listen to all of them. Yeah, I'm, cool I'm man. To all of them, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's awesome. Okay. And then the next time you come on, we're gonna hopefully at that time you'll be able to talk about the Jaro Media yes. um, thing, and you'll be able to um, talk about the show more. Absolutely. And then we can dive even more into Blue Collar Hustle. Okay. If you like, we can, we can dive in back back into all this stuff. Maybe hopefully by that point. I'll, I'll have even more like thoughts and, and I'll have been able to have more opinions um, that I can bring to you about like about black culture and, Absolutely. and, and, and the conversations that um, I've been able to have since then. Absolutely. You'll have things you'll want to talk about. <laughs> I will too. So let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Great, man. All right. Um, let's let's uh, go and wrap it up there. Do you have any um, any last things you want to say? Uh, just shout out to the whole crew. Um, Sosa, uh, Q, um, Howard. Shawnee, thank you for being with me from the beginning. Thank you for believing in me. Um, thank you for just taking the words that I write and just, you know, making them a reality. Uh, shout outs to Amina, my daughter. I love you so much. Mm. Uh, shout outs to Michaela, my girlfriend. Shout outs to just everybody, man. Uh, everybody in the black community, all the black folks in Atlanta. Shout outs to you for this podcast. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, man, just keep supporting the brother. I'm going to try to make it. I'm going I'm to make it. So just keep watching. I got something for you. Just keep the faith. Keep the faith. I got something for you. Absolutely. I have no doubt that's going to happen for you, man. You've got too much. You got too good of a head on your shoulders. You got too much brain in there and you got too much talent. (laughs) And then if you had all that and then you didn't have the hard work and the dedication, no chance. But you have all of that and you have the dedication and the hard work. Thank you. Going places, man. Thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to seeing where that is. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks.